it's the best time of the year I don't know if there'll be snow But have a cup of cheer Have a holly Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Krampus My name is Tom Chick and to discuss Krampus I have brought along Christian Roloski But y'all can just grief me and call me Kotex and with oh, good catch. And with our uh, Krampus tagline coming from Germany, Kelly Wand. Wait, why'd you say that? Because Krampus is, isn't German, and uh, you are, and you were in Germany, so I'm expecting this will be an especially brilliant tagline. Kotex does sound like a demon's name. That's not the tagline though, or brilliant, but Deus Exmus Machina. Oh, that's cute. Good. Hmm. Do you have Do you have more that are that are cute like that? No, that's the only cute one. The others are. Yeah, go on. Finally, a movie about Christmas and Hamburg. <laughs> okay, because that's where you are. You should let people know, right? It's kind of inside baseball. People have to have been to Hamburg to get that. That's I, that's most of our listenership. Is that a word? The no, other non-cute one is: Doesn't the post office just shred those letters anyway? Krampus should target post offices. That's a little too long for a tagline. Yeah, stick to cute one. Yeah, that's not. That's like more of a full-blown observation. I think it was more like the foundation at the bottom was the longest, and then it like tapers to Deus Ex Machina. But I should have said them in that order. Let's do it all over. It's like a pyramid structure, and you, yeah, you you should. Yeah, but I announced it with the pinnacle, and then I go down to the. Right. Well, Kelly, one, you could redeem yourself by conducting a contest between me and Pegasus, <laughs> Pegasus yeah. in which you read a synopsis, and whichever one of us guesses first wins. How fun. Guesses what the movie is that the synopsis is from. I think it's a great idea. Why don't you try that on us? <laughs> I like that everything's just a game now. Offices is a game, good writing, bad writing. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. We're, we're really all losers. Lots of contests here, and winners. Mm-hmm. Right. Adds a lot of suspense to everything. <laughs> Because every time there's a loser, Kelly Wand, there's also a winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell the, the winner tells the loser that and pats him. So that's kind of a win-win because he gets the free pat. Not really free. Here's the do, movie. Do you have a prediction, by the way, for who's going to win this week's uh, synopsis? <sighs> you definitely won't. Oh, so right. you, well, this right. is Dingus's zone, and he's going to be offended. I even said that. Awesome. Can I pre-guess Rush? I'm going to pre-guess Rushmore or Midnight Run. Wait, I'm going to be offended. All right, <laughs> wonderful. This is a great start. If you get it, I don't, actually don't think you'll get it because I, I, I'm still not even sure. I may have to look it up. <laughs> That's your hint. Oh it's one of those titles. No, no, it's like I knew the movie, but it's really slippery. It's one of those titles that sounds like five other titles. All right, well, give it to us. We'll see if we can help you out, Kelly Wand. Jake. I think you'll find the whole movie's like that from everything that happens in it. Jake enjoys college life at his patient, rich father's expense. Van Wilder. No. And slickly seduces hometown girlfriend Allie on campus. He has to seduce his girlfriend. Jake and his dad's patient. Jake already cashed his ticket home, parentheses, upstate New York, for two to Cabo. But she refuses a holiday while expected home, and father promises him a vintage Porsche if home for Christmas Eve dinner. Dingus, he, think, he thinks this is in your wheelhouse. I just want you to know. Kelly Wan thinks this is the kind of movie that you know. But he just said the title. Ah! Did I? 
<laughs> I think you did. Jake's rival, Eddie, who always had an eye on Allie, finds out and arranges for Jake to miss their appointment so he can offer a lift. Jake's left in a Santa suit in the desert. <laughs> okay, yeah. So what, the title was... Uh, he does it! The title I was, was right. Porsche. You get a Porsche if you're home for Christmas. No, he knows which movie it is. And it's, I am a little embarrassed for him. It's, you're, yeah. uh, did you actually see this? Uh, it's Jonathan Taylor Thomas, isn't it? <laughs> ah! See? You know that, Tom? Look what Dingus is in, look what's in Dingus' brain. You, 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 you got his number, Kelly Wand. I Jonathan do. Taylor I Thomas do. appears in a poster in this really cool uh, Saturday Night Live digital video uh, about... Where all the uh, girls from Saturday Night Live take their boyfriends home to get uh, to get busy with them. Wait, it's a parody of this movie? No, no, it's not a parody of this movie, but it's just Jonathan Taylor Thomas is on one of the girls' posters on her wall, and the idea of the, the short. Oh, uh, that's uh, why you know we're, it. We're going back that's home, yeah, yeah, because Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, posters on the wall. You just, comedy you just said "Home for Christmas," and it's called, I think, uh, "I'm Coming Home for Christmas" or something like that. I'll be yeah. I'll be home for Christmas. The last sentence is, resourceful Jake races against time and fortune. He's racing against fortune, Tom, in a sabotage war with Eddie. <laughs> That's it. Dingus won. Dingus got that movie. All right, so the contest, to keep to the rules, I have to play to Tom's zone next week, so it'll be some stupid 70s horror movie. Well, I'm happy to say I don't even – I don't think I even know who Jonathan Taylor Thomas is. I know the name. He's the Kellen Lutz for Home Improvement. <laughs> Home, oh, so he's a see. Uh, home Improvement is the, yeah, all I know. It's like Tim Allen. It's the guy who was Woody in the Toy Story movies. He was one of the male Olsen twins of the nineties. Oh, yeah, very good. Kelly he hit on that show. Yeah, and this was his only shot at doing a movie career. It was his uh, what's the Lautner one? Abduction. This was his abduction. <laughs> see, I think Lautner's shot in a movie career was the Twilight movies. Kelly Wand. <laughs> No, he just that just fell on him. Then it's like, all right, what, what else you got, kid? You look kind of like a, a shaved chest werewolf who's cross-eyed. And I said, what are we going to do with you now? Let's try a thriller where you're in, yeah. you're a bike messenger in New York and you fight crime, right? But just, no, it's always a genetic movie. You're like, oh, see, that's why he's handsome because he's a he's a secret agent. Actually, Taylor huh. right. Thomas was also in Lion King. I mean, that was a big deal. It was. I think so. Didn't he play uh, the young lion Simba? That was I thought that was Matthew Broderick. I'm pretty sure, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't think he played the young one. I thought the young one was all right. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Oh, like may, maybe Matthew Broderick was a teenage one or something. No, I don't. Know. I thought it was Jonathan Taylor Thomas, but I could be totally wrong. Well, thing is, you are the Jonathan Taylor Thomas authority on this podcast, so I'll defer to you. Definitely. Thank goodness, I'm so proud of myself. Remember in. Uh, Superman the movie when a different dude plays Superman as a teenager and then Christopher Reeve plays him and he's only like five years older than that. That always seemed weird. It's always a tough thing to do. Is that, do you just make the actor look younger with makeup? Do you hire someone else and hope that that person looks like the actor? Yeah. I mean, with the kid, they should do it first off with the, with the actor as a kid too. Like it should have been Margot Kidder on the train just in a kid's costume. Mm, yeah, I don't know the hell it's, it's so like I, a reverse Bugsy. When I saw uh, <laughs> when I saw Dead Ringers a couple of weeks ago for the the twins three by three, uh, they have little like little kids it, like a flashback of their not a flashback, but a movie opens with them as children, and then it cuts to them in medical school, uh, and they went ahead and they had Jeremy Irons try to look like medical school students. Oh, uh, nice! Like it's so like, 
ones. Yeah, two of them. Like, they could have hired some teenager-looking guy, but they're like, no, we're just going to skip ahead to Jeremy Irons at this point. And then they fast-forward to their later careers. Uh, How was that? Did it seem awesome or weird? Well, what they did is they gave him... They gave him just sort of more, I guess, disheveled hair, and that sort of means, hey, you're in college, you're in you're medical young. school. Yeah, you're younger. You're in medical school. You, you can't be bothered to be as coiffed as you are when you're a successful gynecologist. So, you know. <laughs> young people don't care about their hair. I think last week Arlo was played by three different people, wasn't he? Oh, Arlo. Yeah, remember, remember seeing the good dinosaur? Man, that was awesome. <laughs> I'm just glad I, I could take see. you guys back to that. Speaking of taking us back, Dingus, why don't you tell the listeners what movie we saw this weekend? All right. Well, this week we saw Krampus, a 2015 (laughs) American comedy fantasy horror movie about the dire consequences of littering during the holidays. It was directed by Michael Doherty and written by him with Todd Casey and Zach Shields. So are those... Two different people or three different people? I couldn't really tell. Shields and Yarnells, too. Todd, Todd Casey, and Zach Shields, they're triplets. The Shield triplets, yes. right? I, I didn't include the uh, the uh, Oxford commas. I apologize. I made our, should be on the list from last week. Todd, week's. Casey, and Zach Shields. Uh, two of the girls in this movie are both named, the last name is Owen, I think. But it's not the two twin sisters. One of the twin sisters and Beth are both named Owen, but I don't think they're related. Those are supposed to be twin sisters? <laughs> Aren't they? Aren't the two girls? Yeah, right? the two girls yeah, who were boys. Girls. Yeah, I didn't know they were twins, though. Were they I twins? Thought, okay, I thought they were supposed to be twins. Well, one of them. One of them was a foot taller than the other. Okay, well that might disqualify. Like shining twins. <laughs> All right, so this movie stars Adam Scott, Tony Collette, mm. Allison oh, Coleman. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, I'll give you yeah. that one. MJ Tony Wait a minute. Why are you not why are you not putting that out for Tony Collette, Kelly Warren? Because the cork episode of Lost. I can never have masturbate to someone who did the cork Are you confusing Allison Allison Janney with Tony Collette? Tony Collette was on Lost. Oh good lord. Yeah. You guys with Lost. She was the mom. That was Allison Janney, you doofus. Oh. Oh my oh. god, you're confusing Allison Janney with Tony Collette. Dingus, would you talk to him? I would, they but I'm that crazy same. about Alice and Janney, so I'm not going to talk down about Alice and Janney. I'm crazy about both of them, and how can you confuse one for the other? They're both their own level of awesomeness. You can't. It's impossible. They're not even remotely similar. You could do. I, I think you could maybe confuse Wendy Malick with Alice and Janney, maybe, but not Tony Collette. Wendy Joe Sperber and Allison Tolman. We should let the listeners know, Dingus, that before we started recording, we tricked Kelly Wand into thinking that Allison Tolman was actually Cameron Mannheim, and he believed us. That's how. I don't know who Cameron Mannheim is. Well, that's how. <laughs> that's how much Kelly Wand recognizes actors, because he was like, "Hey, Alice, you know what we saw with Allison Tolman?" And we were telling him, "Kelly Wand, that wasn't Allison Tolman." And he believed us. So no, after you went, oh, she was in the visit. I'm like, what? Wait, am I getting all my actors mixed up? Or she wasn't I just... in the visit. I said she was in the gift. First didn't of all, now you're, say the visit. Yeah. you're confusing your nouns. You're confusing gifts and visits, as well as Allison, Janney, and Tony Collette. Kelly Wan, you've lost it. Rewind it. You said visit. <laughs> That's the one part of this I'm not, I'm not dumb on. Because did I say? I, I said the gift. He certainly said the gift. You always because I immediately you. thought of the uh, the Keanu uh, movie. You're... <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, just, we, oh yeah, just tell us again. We've got some uh, some awesome Tony Collette, some awesome Allison Tolman. You mentioned Adam Scott. Who else is in this movie? Uh, somebody named M J Anthony. And I'm wondering, and the name is spelled E M J J A Y. I'm wondering if if he couldn't use his name. This is the guy who plays Max. If he couldn't use like his 
initials MJ, and they just decided to make him into a name MJ, which just seems like a weird made-up name. So MJ Anthony and David Keckner. Mary Jane. Krampus is rated PG-13 hmm. for sequences of horror, violence, slash terror, language, and some drug material. What? Yeah, what's the drug material? Oh, is it? The, I remember it. Come on, you guys, you can you can come up with this. The drug material. Oh, the the boyfriend. Yeah, the bong. The He's bong. Oh my room. god! What? The bong was <laughs> skyping. I'm I'm almost certain that the bong is supposed to be drug material. That's, That's right. a legal product. We don't know what he has in it. Right, he could have just been having. Well, if in that case, well, it would be underage under tobacco use. If he was using it as a hookah for tobacco, that would also be a PG-13 rating. Kelly, I smoke dust in mine a lot. Just out of curiosity. PCP, you mean? Angel? No. Uh, Krampus... Wait, wait, wait. Yes, I yes. want to add some. To oh, right, right. So, Kelly Wan, you, you, oh, you yeah. were fond of, like, yeah, why don't you set the MPA straight? What did they miss out on for this PG-13? I'm a citizen's MPA. I'm kind of a freelance MPA. <laughs> okay. Uh, some obesity, German language, suggestively warm gingerbread, implied boredom, premature gift opening, and mild screaming. <laughs> Very good, Kelly Wand. <clears throat> Krampus, which featured all of those things, opened at number two, the box office, Whoa. which actually it did very well. Uh, it's it, pretty good. It did not beat the Hunger Games movie, but uh, it opened at a, a solid number two with $16 million. Hey, Creed? Uh, yeah, but Creed is in its second, it's second movie for a while, yeah. My yeah, theater Creed, was packed, and it was this afternoon at two. Yeah, Creed was unfortunately like neck and neck with the Good Dinosaur. Like that was the that was the tense battle th- this week. Was who was going to be ahead, Creed or Good Dinosaur? Which one will be the meteor? Yeah. Both underdogs. The- uh, Krampus on Metacritic, and this is the average from various reviews: forty-seven out of a hundred. Forty-seven. Forty-seven. Yeah. Huh. So basically, that's. It's the rating. Uh, well, they, they they basically put their they, on their rating scale. They put it right in the middle. That does, that's I give bad. it a PG thirteen. Well, Kelly Wan, what would you give it on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, forty four. Nope, you would give it a sixty six because that's what it is on Rotten uh, Tomatoes. Sixty six percent of the reviews were like, "Hey, we like Krampus." Kelly Wand, why don't you now, for folks who maybe haven't seen it, go ahead and spoil it by giving us a Krampopsis. Is that what you would call a synopsis of Krampus? Wait, when the Rotten Tomatoes guys go, yeah. hey, we like Krampus, 66% of them, right. do they say, hey, because they're entering a room to announce that to straight people? <laughs> to get, right. make just sure among they, each other. Yes, to make sure they get your attention before they say it. Hey, but, yeah, we like Krampus. <laughs> right. They say, hey, assholes. This guy does not. Three people walk in, and the third guy's like, no, I didn't. No, he hey, goes, he I goes, didn't like Hey, exactly. Hey, I didn't like Krampus. And then, then they leave again and go to the next house. Like Krampus. I don't think Rotten Tomatoes is a door-to-door service, I'm afraid. Oh. Uh, you don't want tomatoes on your door? Tell you what, what, I, what, I, <laughs> what I do want, though, is, yeah, a Krampus synopsis. Krampsis. Krampsis is good. Give me that. Krampsis. Some kind of new rocking horse goes on sale at Costco. I look over at the two-by-four sitting beside me and go, i got to get me one of those. Suddenly I realize the wooden plank's Ben Affleck. He's wearing a Santa suit. I'm all, oh, are you reprising your role from Reindeer Games or Surviving Christmas? He doesn't say anything. I'm all, or do you and Superman switch costumes for some reason and then it makes bullshit? 
<laughs> he says he doesn't know. I can relate. In the movie, a kid named Mino Pellucci. <laughs> you guys don't know who that is. Maybe Dingus. Dingus, do you know who Mino Pellucci is? No, I just Sorry. thought you were talking about uh, what's his name, Ventimiglia. A kid named Mino Pellucci fights with another kid on Santa's lap for getting Coke and Pepsi wrong. Mino lives with his parents and a wise grandma whose only English is in stop motion. For some reason, they've invited family members they can't stand to stay with them for three days. For some reason, the family members want to stay with them for three days. I look over at Affleck and go, characters in Christmas movies are always way too into Christmas, but they still always act blindsided by everything that happens to them, like they've never had to go through Christmas before. <laughs> Affleck says something in response, so I tune out. The visiting family members include Bob Hoskins. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? No. Tell me one. Oh, my guy. God. Oh, my God. Final Destination and Mona Lisa. Roger Rabbit. Two Cub Scouts, a piebald bulldog, a fat kid with lip issues, and a mom. In an abrupt break from the fantasy setting, Christmas dinner's dumb and tense. Bob Hoskins spits food at Adam Scott and goes, So what do you do again? Me and Danny and Ricky here buy shotguns every weekend and read the cover of the Bible together. He and his sons high-five. Adam Scott's all, Uh, I invented the human brain? They're all nerd. Bob Hoskins and his kids snigger and throw food at him. The mom character's all, well, at least you're all pelting my husband with something other than mac and cheese. The doorbell rings. It's fat, lovably, ghastly Aunt Fatty. She's all, somebody put a cork in me, wind me up, and point me towards the mistletoe. As hungry. She farts concussively and her bra explodes. The kids all smile nostalgically towards their own future. The mom characters all. So cover up some awkwardness time. Uh, let's see. What should we talk about? Hey, how about that Glenn and Dumpster on Walking Dead? Those were the longest four weeks ever. Aunt Fatty's all. What are you, a Jew? A German sitting three rows down stands up, pumps his fist, and starts to go nice and see, but then just looks around, clears his throat, and sits down. <laughs> I look over at Affleck and go, looks like someone's on a date besides us. He says something in response, so I try to picture AM radio static. One of the Cub Scouts is all, hey, look, I stole Mino here's letter to Santa. Now I'll open it and read it aloud at dinner. All the adults look up interestedly. Kids all, no, give it back. Adam Scott's all, easy there, sport. Ricky here's got something he wants to read. Ricky, please continue. I'll start paying attention if my name comes up. The Cub Scouts all, Dearest beautiful Santa, last night I dreamed me and you made out while my dad watched. When I woke up, I felt full and my pillow was gone. Ha <laughs> ha. I think he and Mom are a terrible couple. I wish my dad wasn't bankrupt from hosting last Christmas and that my mom was prettier and that I was a better letter writer. I think my grandma believes in demons. Signed, the kid character. The Cub Scout looks up angrily and goes, And Dad doesn't wish we were lesbians. They tenderly give the letter back. Adam Scott's all, son, you know the rules about reading on holidays. Go to your room now. The kid goes up to his room and scowls at the crumpled paper covered with hopefully chocolate stains. He's all, stupid letter. Everything was going awesome between me and my cousins till you came along. He tears it up and throws it out the window so that the shreds of it will be seen blown all over the porch later and embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs>
witches. But luckily, a Christmas demon intercepts them and blows them aloft. Because demons live on the moon. Oh, yeah, the kid has a sister. Her characterization is that her boyfriend smokes pot. Lucky girl. He calls up, uses his bong, and goes, Hey, Wendy, how's the family Christmas party going? She's all, I'm coming over right now. Also, my name's Karen. She hangs up. She finds a street with an ice cream truck on it. The driver inside ignores her. Santa's goat shows up, prancing across the rooftops of people who aren't interested in investigating. Then helps her out from under the truck off screen. Adam Scott eventually notices his daughter's missing and wanders off into the blizzard with Bob Hoskins armed with shotguns to bring her back dead or alive. But a rabbit bites Bob Hoskins' legs, so they come back. In the living room, a limping Bob Hoskins winces and sits on a recliner and unveils infected bite marks on his leg. Grandma's all, keeps the fire warm! (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's just how all my women sound. The moms are all, where's the daughter? What bit you? Bob Hoskins starts to explain that Adam Scott whispers, not here. So he's all, uh, something implausible. They're all, oh, okay. They look relieved. The twins are all, well, since there's no demon or anything, we're going to go investigate strange noises in the attic. Everybody's all, yeah, whatever. The kid character comes out with a platter of shot glasses and goes, chocolate says hot grandma makes everything seem better briefly. Grandma rolls her eyes and goes, that's not what I said at all. Bob Hoskins is all, English, I knew it. Okay, enough in action. You guys all get some sleep. I'll keep watch. Using his shotgun barrels as a pillow, he goes to sleep. Everybody else follows suit. (laughs) Behind them, the fat kid gets sucked up the chimney. His screams bring them groggily awake, muttering with annoyance. Mino Pellucci's all, damn, if only we'd follow Grandma's keep the fire warm plan, the fat kid would have gotten singed on his way up. And the cookie they used as bait would have been toasty and delicious. Mm. Grandma, your wisdom might yet avail us. Can you tell us how to beat this thing? They all stare at her. She makes her dignified look. Eventually, they sigh and give up. Some cackling elves move in upstairs and start breaking shit. (laughs) You know, Pellucci's all, Hey, everybody, I have an idea. He takes the sewer grating off the radiator in the wall that somehow leads one way to the attic. The dog scrambles inside. Somehow climbs vertically up it, gets killed by the elves, while everybody cheers gloomily, and the music implies it's only comically violent. Everyone decides the Christmas party's over and to leave the house. Grandma, filled with the Christmas spirit, stays behind to die. As she lovingly shuts the front door in their faces, Adam Scott's all, fuck my mom, I better go in and talk her out of doing this. Wait a minute. I mean, wait, isn't that his mom? Yeah, yeah, it's his mom. All right. Mina Pellucci grabs his arm and goes, Dad, no. Let her die. I was right about the dog, wasn't I? Adam Scott's all, yeah, good point. So they leave Grandma. Their plan to all run to a snowplow that doesn't work with a dead body inside it succeeds in that they all die over the space of a couple minutes outside instead of in the house. (laughs) Except for the kid. The demons leave alive, because like natural-born killers, they always leave one person alive to tell the incoherent tale. And this time they've forgotten to not kill Grandma. Eh, hell, Grandma. The kid brings a haunted jingle bell to the hell pit, where the demons are all celebrating their hard-fought conquest inside some fire. 
the kids all, Christmas demon, you've played pretty square with me so far, so I know you can fix this. Superman changed the past by going in circles real fast, circumferences. Uh, more specifically, I just wanted Christmas to be like it used to be, back when I was even more of a kid. They're all, okay, and throw him into a volcano. <laughs> Later he wakes up to find himself and his family inside a snow globe, looking understandably confused. Adam Scott's all, oh, well, at least I don't have to work tomorrow. The kid's all, it's still going to be here for a while. We might want to take our time on the presents. The daughter's boyfriend jams some mistletoe in his bong and goes, best Christmas ever. I look over at Affleck and go, wait, so when the kid wanted Christmas the way it used to be, he meant inside a snow globe? Ben Affleck starts to reply, the end. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Warren, I I liked your Adam Scott. Uh, wait, three days? (laughs) It makes me think of Adam Scott from uh, The Overnight. Everything does, and I watch this movie thinking, ah, it's Adam Scott, the overnight. Yeah, I I definitely can't quite see him the same way anymore. I think something uh, is, like, I've been wired differently to look at him now. Yeah, it's a little odd. Maybe Um, if we watched, uh, wait, what's the movie where Ben Stiller fantasizes all the time? Walter Mitty. Isn't Adam Scott in that? I think he is. Oh, right, right, with a mustache, right. Yeah. It only made, this movie only made me think of Piranha 3D. What was the one we saw where he had... Oh, wasn't he in Black Mask? Black the Mask. Mustache? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, Making yeah, his, that was awesome. Where he makes the same face as the grandma makes in Prince. <laughs> yeah, the, the career of Adam Scott. It's yeah. troubled. Yeah. Adam Scott. God, The Overnight. Fuck. Why can't every Adam Scott movie be The Overnight? Well, I just pretend that this is Adam Scott's character from The Overnight, like, fast-forwarded several right. years. Like, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the Overnight is an origins story for He Krampus. is similar. He's still... A little overwhelmed by family life, like he is in the overnight, and that's what that's what uh, the end of the overnight did to him. It's turned him into this character. It's good time. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Till he saved it. Saved it. So, Kellyanne, you didn't like Krampus. Uh, I have trouble taking any movie that says the phrase "Christmas spirit" in it um, as like this real thing that I'm expected to get into for a twelfth of my life. In a movie, it's kind of like Meet the Feebles. I'm glad it exists, but I didn't think it was that much fun to watch. Okay, uh, you would have rather gone back and seen Good Dinosaur again. Yeah, <laughs> I can wrap my brain around Good Dinosaur and Krampus. I was like liking in spurts, but the characters are so annoying, and they're just I don't. It's like I was sort of I was rooting heavily for Krampus, but he's not in the movie enough. Okay, so that's my that's my take on Krampus. Dingus, as, a, as our horror movie newbie, like you're sort of the little brother of horror movies to me and Kelly. A Christmas movie aficionado. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So Kelly, it's witness yeah. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Though. Exactly. As a Christmas aficionado, Dingus, who's kind of new to horror movies, we're, we're sort of bringing them to you as, as we can, Kelly Wand and I. Uh, how did Krampus work for you? Uh, I think it's pretty pathetic as a horror movie. Um, well, it's a I horror comedy. I mean, yeah, it's a horror even, comedy, but, but, but I don't think it understands. Boop, 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 boop really had to establish its tone properly. It, it didn't do anything for me. I was I was far more interested in what was going on with the audience. My audience was pretty lively. Uh, it was a packed crowd. Um, they got the two uh, two dudes next to me got really upset at the end when they thought it was going to all be a dream. They got really mad. Um, and they just kept saying, no, no, no. Um, uh, 
<laughs> be fair, I love that ending, actually. To be fair, one of them. Well, well, when when you think it's oh, it's all just a dream. They were really mad. These two guys next to me. Yeah, to be fair, one of them, them I think was um, did have some sort of a mental uh, incapacity and was out on sort of a. I think there was a whole group of <laughs> go see Krampus. Yeah, I think there. I think well, there was a bunch of little kids, really, really little kids in my theater, and uh, and then I think there was a group of of young adults That's different. from some sort of a um, a home or something. Uh, so it was a really lively crowd, but they were really mad at the end that it was all going to be a dream. Um, they're really angry about that, and and then when the end finally rolled around, they were like, "Oh, I love this." But but for me, the this, this movie did really didn't really work for me at all for a variety of reasons. Uh, I I kind of liked this. I uh, I I really liked the cast. Um, I don't think there was a false I, except for maybe the kid. He didn't do anything for me. But I really liked watching all of the actors in it. Um, I liked the fact that Michael Doherty is. Uh, he, he's he's an artist. Like that's one of his primary things that he does. Is he draws, and and I like that uh, he got to realize some pretty cool creatures in this. I, I kind of enjoyed that. Um, you know, it's nothing amazing, but as far as horror comedies go, I think I think horror comedies are almost always a mistake. Because uh, being honest, I can't think of I can't think of any horror comedy that doesn't suffer from what you mentioned, and that's a difficulty finding its tone. Yeah. Uh, I think if you're going to be a comedy. Don't really try to be scary or dark. Just let yeah. that go. If you're going to be a horror movie, then you can have some kind of black comedy. But this is obviously going for both. Uh, yeah, like Michael Doherty, I think if you've seen Trick or Treat, you can see that has some of the same problems. Like how serious is he trying to be? How much is this a goof? Um, and this that's an anthology. This is a full length version of, of you know what he was trying to do in Trick or Treat in smaller slices. Uh, but, but visually, I love, by the way. Uh, like, I love an icy apocalypse, like in The Thing or The Shining. So I loved the look of this idea of, of a daytime blizzard with a power is out in the neighborhood. Um, so the, the production design, the creature design, and the cast pretty much won me over, I, I would say. Uh, but I agree with you, Dingus. Like, it, you know, it, 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 it kind of, it, like, it, it's, it's a dark ending. Like, it's trying to, yeah. It, like, you're trying to, like, it's, it's, it's making you think. You know, hey, we've killed the daughter. We're going to kill these other kids. You know, we killed the dog. Uh, and I kept thinking, oh, it's going to pull back and it's going to all be an illusion. But no, everybody did get dragged down to hell. Um, but they, but they weren't killed. I mean, that's right, right, right. No, no, that's, right, what, right. that's the that's kind of the reveal is that nobody's been killed. So right, it does, but, it does pull back, and I think it tries to thread the needle in that regard. Oh, but I don't think. I mean, I don't. It, it, it's worse than being killed in a way. I mean, they're they're basically yeah, they're trapped in eternity. Yeah, they're in hell with each other. Right, right. right. That's kind of the idea. Is that these are people – I mean, I think there is kind of – and I, I, I suspect this is partly what rubbed you a little wrong, Kelly Wand. But there is really this kind of message about, hey, if you pervert the, in, the intention of Christmas and, and you just go all in for consumerism and greed, uh, then Christmas will be a hell for you and you'll be trapped in it forever. There is this kind of like that, – But that also made the, men, the ending work for me. Like it was it, – Right. Is like Christmas to me is just a series of gaudy discomforts, right. discomforts, and it lasts a long time. So to be stuck in Christmas forever, like that is, is it, that's a great ending. I think. Yeah. And I did like the look of Krampus. You're right. I did like. Um, it's just like the movie wouldn't let me enjoy it for very long because the 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 score was so Forrest Gumpy that it kept kind of. Oh, I don't even remember that. Did it have like a pretty like over obvious music? 
or yeah okay it was just all it was just really broad like studio notes kind of music well like, i think it's it was, a christmas movie yeah i think it's trying to go for that on purpose i think it's yeah it's trying to to ape some of some of the comedy of National Lampoon's Gremlins. Christmas Vacation and other movies like Gremlins. I mean, I think David Kickner's right out of it was just basically Randy Quaid. Um, I, mean, that, I, I, they just, I didn't like the dialogue, Tom. Because that made me think, as I was leaving, I'm just now realizing this, uh, as I was walking out of the theater, someone said, what was that movie where you can't get the things wet after midnight? Oh, no. <laughs> Oh man, I'm so homesick again. So that that person, by the way, never never let that person own a gremlin. Uh, she's got it wrong. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's definitely that kind of early that early Joe Dante school of humor, like in Twilight Zone too. Like let's make actually that was John Landis. John Landis is a like American Werewolf in London is I think one of the few movies that really gets this idea of hey let's make a horror movie, but we're also going to make it like viciously funny at times. And there's a real bite in that. Uh, but Joe Dante's Gremlins was uh, well, was very much that that kind of tone as well. And Gremlins wasn't really a horror movie when you think about it. And it was, yeah, and it was. It didn't come out at Christmas either. It and it wasn't dark, by the way. It was Gremlins is, per, is super hopeful. Well, well, there's the Phoebe Cates Santa Claus speech. Right, right. But everybody, like everything, ends well. Like nobody gets dragged down to hell. Like the good guys prevail in Gremlins. You know, Mog is another batch get torn apart. Well, that's not canon, Kelly Wand. Can, can we talk about your next in the same breath, or does that even qualify as even remotely a comedy? Uh, I, I mean, I think of your next as sort of like black comedy. It's it's again it's like your next is clearly a horror movie, but there's some viciously funny is it bits Christmas in, it. in that. No. no, no, I'm not talking about holidays. I'm no. just talking about that idea of you know you know there is the sort of the dinner party kind of aspect to it, but I'm just talking about trying to match tone. I mean, yeah. as far as as far as as far as feathering comedy into horror because I, if i'm going to see a horror movie i kind of want to be scared yeah but i mean everything is its own beat and krampus is trying to i don't know like there are some good lines like when adam scott goes three days like that that's kind of well do you guys want me to jump ahead to the good writing bad writing contest unless um i mean we'll back up i just want to say why you all right, all right yeah, yeah let's yeah, do yeah. this so i've got four lines here I'm going to give to you. You guys have to tell me whether it's good writing or bad writing. Uh, and actually, uh, yeah, a couple of these are exchanges. So here's a two-line exchange. Someone says, you know, there's noise up in the, in the attic. Someone says squirrels. And then the ant says, right, probably playing with their nuts. Bingus, is that good writing or bad writing? Uh, I will say two things. Number one, I actually wrote that line down because this is the first time in my theater when everybody in the theater laughed. They all laughed at that line, um, and I think it's horrible writing. I cannot stand almost anything that woman says. Kelly Wand, good writing or bad writing? Squirrels, yeah, right, probably playing with their nuts. Kelly Wand, is that good writing or bad writing? Uh, it's The line's not good, but the sound effect kind of makes it funny because there's like this huge thump, like, Poof! and then it kind of makes the line, like the Foley work is good and the line is bad. The problem is the line should have stopped at squirrels. We didn't need a body reference to playing with their nuts, which is, like, over-obvious. I mean, that's one of the dumbest things in the movie. Like, the movie, even this movie is smarter than that line about playing with their nuts. So you're both right. Bad writing. You both get a point. Here's the next one. I think Kelly said it was good. No, no, no I said the line's bad, yeah. and then the sound effects. Oh, and then you, effect you, tried to, everybody you tried to balance it by saying Foley work? Or 
Well, no, because the thing is, Kelly's right. Kelly's right that if you had that thumping and if someone had just said squirrels, that would be funny. The screw up is in making a joke about playing with their nuts, is trying to go for a stupid lowbrow reference. Oh, okay. The, the noise and the response squirrels, like that's funny. I like that. I Don't. think it's a non sequitur, and that's why it's not a good line. Like, right, right. It makes no sense, yeah. So then let me give you this one, also from that actress. Uh, the, I haven't felt this hungover since the Pope died. <laughs> Kelly, want you first. Good writing or bad writing? I don't... That's terrible writing. What's that mean? <laughs> I didn't understand it at all. I was... I, well, what? He didn't get a laugh either, so I can't even say there was a sound effect that saved it. I don't understand what that means. Right, Pope dies and get drunk? I'm guessing Dingus... Why I, is that funny? I know your answer, but Dingus, is that good writing or bad writing? It's terrible, and I don't under, even understand why that character is in the movie. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know, like, was she super Catholic, and therefore she got upset and got drunk when the Pope died, or what, what was going she on? She said it like it's a huge laugh line, too. She played right. it like, I haven't been this hungover since what? the Pope died, and they're like, ah, here she comes. There's a, there's That's a, kind of uh, all she's got to work with. She she has a Martha Stewart line too. I mean, it's just she's. Oh right, right. It looks like Martha Stewart threw up in here. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, there's a uh, there's a series that you probably haven't seen, but I bet Kelly has, where Lisa Kudrow plays uh, an, an aging actress who gets hired to be in a sitcom update of a sitcom she did when she was younger, uh, and the writers hate her. She doesn't like them, and so they give her just cringeworthy dialogue out of spite. Uh, and it sounded like this this woman's lines were like something Lisa Kudrow would have to do in the comeback. Yeah. All right, here's the next one. We've got two more. You're still. Do you think it was that personal or the writers? No, no, I just think it was that bad. It happens to her. Like she gets wound up by a chain and taken off. I can't tell anything that goes on in that action sequence. But anyway, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, it just really sounds like that she just got the worst of the writing. That you know, did did someone have it out for her? Because good lord, those lines. All right, let's get every. Okay. Let's get away from her line. Well, just every, every character gets like a, a farewell line too before they get yanked. Like, I love you, or hey, this is for that one time. Well, then let's try this one. All right. This one's actually said twice. Uh, and I just want to know the writing. Is this good writing or bad writing when someone says, Shepherd's got to protect his flock? Oh, Jesus Christ. Vegas, you first. Good writing or bad writing? No, if, if that had shown up one more time, I would. I, this is one of those things that happens where they keep showing up. And, okay. it, and, and, and it's then it's so meaningfully, like, and, it, and the last time true. he says it, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. He says it right before he goes to sleep, too. All right, so, so Kelly Wand, do you think that's good writing or bad writing? That's terrible. Yeah, because it doesn't, it doesn't have any application to this situation. Like, it may be when David Koechner goes to sleep, but it doesn't... He says it like it's profound, too. Well, yeah, he's, he's making Jesus references. It's like Jesus was born in a barn, the genus born in a barn reference. He's... It's David Keckner being yeah. yeah, it's David Keckner being a conservative Christian who's only read the cover of the Bible. And Adam Scott wouldn't say that when he's talking about protecting his family. Because a family, you know, you're not a shepherd, your family, it's not your flock. I mean it's yeah, he's he's like yeah. using that to be yeah, so I thought that was bad writing. All right, here's the last one. You guys are both tied so far. Uh David <laughs> Keckner David Keckner hands a pistol to Adam Scott, and Adam Scott goes, It's heavy. David Keckner says, It's Linda's. <laughs> That's great. Oh, okay, Dingus says great writing. Kelly Wan, what do you say for that line? Uh, I like the. It is great, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. All right, so you guys it's are actually because it immediately calls to mind Allison Tolman, and you're like, yeah, she could take. Uh, why didn't he take her out here? Because she could have taken anything. 
And it's such a slight too to him. Is yeah. it? Yeah. He's pointing out. Yeah. It's just such a, it's a clever little it's a dick joke. Yeah. Totally. It, it basically, he's yeah, making yeah. fun of his own dick. But yeah, but David Keckner doesn't say it like that. He just says it like, oh, yeah, that's Linda's and right. and Adam Scott. Like, oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's not a tagline to the audience. It's not an aside to the audience like, uh, you know, I haven't been this drunk since the Pope died. Ha uh, <laughs> you're you run like a girl. He's not even saying that. He said, yeah, that's Linda's. And Adam Scott's like, oh. Yeah, so I, I like it because I understood it. Like, oh, that's a, that line I understood the concept of. Well, as I got however when the Pope died, I don't know what why I would laugh at that. Yeah, it, it's Linda's is a, is a great burn. It's a great yeah. sick burn. I yeah. love that. I also wanted to see more of how that, that Humvee thing works <laughs> all the like the little like where are the kids where do they put everybody and all the little trays that come out that have guns in them and what else is he does he have hidden they're in all meaningless vehicle i mean i would have loved to get more of a, a sense of what that vehicle is like but then it got torn apart yeah well oh well yeah uh how about uh so i i was a big fan of the, the creature design stuff with the exception. i like the snowmen too Tom. the snowmen were very ominous looking like that was a great yeah. idea is you know there's a there's there's a no power it's winter outside and these weird snowmen are appearing um and yeah, by like way, yeah i like that and i like how they seem to be moving ever forward yeah, yeah, like they're crowding in on the house. Um, it was kind of Shining-esque. It was like the hedge maze in the Book of Shining. So how did then, did the attic fight work, where they introduce like the, the Christmas, the angel ornament demon and the, the big worm thing with the split jaw? Because uh, I, I really like I that. I was having trouble following the action. I was having trouble seeing it. I mean, it was it was basically just him showing off his creatures, and uh, like I don't I don't think it was it was necessarily a crisp action scene or anything, but it was just a showcase for hey, here's these cool creatures we thought up. It was but it was like the only time we get to actually see a monster up till that point. You go, oh, it's that kind of a movie. So it was kind of an interesting shift. I kind of disagree because I loved the first appearance of Krampus jumping on the rooftops. Like I yeah, thought that too. was awesome. Right, right. But this was like, yeah, I know, but that was like. I kind of expected to see that, but I didn't expect to see like a giant Cthulhu worm. Especially eye. because yeah. I hated the stupid gingerbread men, and and we'd yeah. see we saw the gingerbread. Like I love the idea of a fishing trap for the fat kid, and and his demise reminded yeah. me like of an Augustus Gloop kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I hated the stupid gingerbread men. They, is it is it Shrek that has animated gingerbread men? There's some dopey yeah. animated. Yeah, yeah. Shrek. yeah. So yeah, I didn't care for the gingerbread men, and so that's what I was. Like, we see Krampus jumping from roof to roof, and then we see the gingerbread man, and I'm like, oh, that's all we've got is I just stupid... don't know what the rules are for them. I mean... Yeah, when someone fights little things like that, they right. always act still terrified, and I'm like, that's an easy one. I'll take these odds any time. I'll just kick the shit out of them. We but know they what... always scream, like, no, it's coming towards well, me. I thought, the, I thought the actual battle in the kitchen was handled pretty well with that, even though that's not how a nail gun works. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But but when he's shooting them and, and then he eventually says I almost got my ass kicked by a bunch of you know cookies or whatever, um, I th- I thought that was kind of interesting and in, and in how they they appear to be scary. Uh, I don't know I I didn't the doze a lot in the attic. Uh, I liked the unseen snowworm, like whatever it was, burrowing under the snow, eating people. I was like eating one of the elves or one of the whatever they were. I didn't get the difference between uh, his helpers elves. and oh, elves. Elves was a funny line for me um, when Grandma says elves. Uh, but I didn't get the difference between the helpers and the elves and the toys and, and that kind of stuff. I, I just didn't get – and I didn't get that big wormy thing that was eating the twins or or, the, or Steph. 
Stevie and Jordan. I didn't get what that thing was supposed to be. It Wasn't just had that... this weird clown face that turned into an alien, like or uh, a predator mouth that opens. Well, but it, it was if you follow him down to the end, it's the 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 uh, Jack in the Box. Like that's his tail. That's the thing oh, on the end of his tail oh. is the the box for the Jack in the Box. So presumably. That's what pops out of the little jack-in-the-box. So he just swallows them and takes them over to the slave cart? To hell, yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. uh, yeah. They're not so, in the snowman? I, d- I didn't care. I mean, I understand what you're saying about the, the creature design, Tom, but, but because the action was so difficult to follow in a lot of that sequence, uh, I just I, – I need, I need there to be more crisp action in that kind of thing. I need to to know who's fighting who and why and how. I mean, when Allison Tolman finally like gets the moxie because she sees her daughter over there and she gets up and she like slays everybody in her path and then says a funny line and then throws the hatchet down and misses it because she stopped to say a funny line. Uh, I, I mean, I get all that, but I wanted to see more of the action. I couldn't see what was going sure. on. Mm-hmm. I found uh, that frustrating, but I. It, but part of that, and this is this is a failing on my part because I really loved that that introduction of the Krampus character jumping from rooftop to rooftop as Beth is running down the street. I thought that was fascinating. I really liked the way that worked, uh, and I I kind of, my expectation was that this was going to be a movie about this monster going after them, and I didn't realize it was going to have like a bunch of little gingerbread men and little critters and then a whole bunch of elves running in at the end in this weird sort of time bandits kind of a thing. Um, so I thought a lot of that muddied it when I really loved that initial character. And, and I really loved the way that, that dude's mouth looked, um, the way he, the way, the way that, uh, it, you said that Michael Doherty was, is a designer. Uh, he's an, he's an illustrator, an artist, like his website has a bunch of sort of almost like these, uh, Tim Burton esque, or actually more like Edward, like these these morbid pictures of of holidays and terrible things happening to children and and these weird creatures. So yeah, he draws. Okay, well, because in that final in that scene uh, on the edge of the pit where the where the Krampus creature is is emoting in different ways, I really liked that. I liked the way that creature's face was developed, mm-hmm. in addition to the hooves and the horns and that and that overall design i really do like that creature i just felt it was med- muddied by all the other characters uh and there were some great shots of it too like i love the shots like of over its shoulder making like omi and the little kid look look small and the way you do get to see its face like i, right, I was right. thinking at first oh it's just going to be a hooded figure but sure enough this weird grimacing demon face of old of an old man comes out and yeah i thought it looked great well, what's, uh, what's great about that for me is the uh, is the way that is a payoff, or I don't know if you would say that, or a development from Omi's story as the animation and how her her vision of him is is a shadow. He's the shadow of uh, of Saint Nicholas, and he winks at her in this shadow. And I wonder if we're only going to see him as a shadow going forward, but that's her memory. And I love that animation sequence. I was I was I. I Am I the only one who thought this was going to get tied in the Holocaust somehow? Because any woman that oh, age yeah. in Germany, I'm thinking, okay, well, let's hear what happened during the war. Uh, and I think well, there's that line about a Jew that the aunt says. 
what was the line about the Jew? The mom, she's all, who doesn't serve a ham at Christmas? What are you? Oh, right, right, right. What are you Jews? But then they give each other meaningful looks as if we have converted. I mean, it is weird. It is a weird moment, yeah. But I loved that animation sequence. Yeah, I did too, and I don't think they're trying to necessarily – I mean the idea was just the deprivation they suffered during war. People were greedy over bread. and uh, But yeah, I I liked that as well. Um, That seems like – it seems like it doesn't take much to get Krampused because like – You would think (laughs) that this would be happening all over the place. And and by the way, so I – like, did all the neighbors get taken away, or are they just like right? And they don't even know about the letter. They don't, they died for reasons they'll never understand. Like, wait, what? Our neighbor wrote a letter and, and to Santa and tore it up and went to the mall. What? Why is this? And the driver too. And that's actually that was one of my that was where I sort of started perked up is when the daughter finds the driver frozen to death. Right. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is a movie where people die. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and she doesn't know that either. She doesn't know she's in a horror movie yet. She thinks she's going to her boyfriend's house. <laughs> right. Like, within two seconds, suddenly it's a horror movie. And, and, the, and like, the way they talk about the plan to go to the mall, and somebody says, well, what if nobody's there either? <laughs> I yeah. thought there was going to be a whole like zombie movie thing happening that was countrywide. All right, a mall sequence. Or something. But it's one of those movies where it was kind of like The Strangers, that Liv Tyler thing, where... Yes. The characters really throw the fight too early, and they make a lot of dumb decisions, and so I'm not sure how seriously I'm supposed to root for them, because I wouldn't root for them at all, but there's enough serious lines, and, like, the grandma's supposed to be sage or something. And well, I don't, sure. I don't think, like, there's, I don't think there's ever, like, when you see how it turns out, there's never any hope that, uh, it's almost right. like just toying with them. Like, they're, they're doomed from the moment the kid invokes Krampus, uh, and there, nobody's ever going to escape, you know, whether they get to the, the Humvee or if they even got to a mall or whatever. It was just a matter but of they time don't know they that. got tried. Right. They don't know that. But, uh, yeah, the, the only stakes in this movie, which I think we eventually find out, are how long is, is it going to take before each of them is dragged to hell? Like they have So no- none of the characters are supposed to be smart, right? Like the grandma's not and the kid's not. And Adam Scott's not. Well, because they all get applause lines, but they never do anything intelligent. Well, they can't. Like, there's nothing they could do. I mean, it's a, it's that kind of horror movie well, where there's yeah. there's no escape. You know, this is a supernatural force that you just can't contend with. Uh, I'd still try to bail, like first thing, like all right, so the house isn't safe. Well, so. that is kind of yeah. You're like, okay, what would I do in this horror situation? You know, how would I escape this? Or right, yeah. Uh, but Kelly Wan Krampus would get you. Sorry, there's no yeah, way. Yeah, he gets them. Yeah. And he even gets I, – I always hate this at the end of a horror movie – the stupid, like, attempt at a jump scare where the monsters lunge at the screen. Yeah. Ugh, I hate it when movies do that. Well, when you know it's coming, too. Yeah, exactly. Telegraph jump It's scare. so unimaginative, yeah. Wait, uh, so if he hadn't written the letter in the first place, everything would have been fine. So I don't write letters to Santa. No, I think if he hadn't torn it up and given up on it, like, that's the moment that he lost. Right, right. Yeah. But it's like if he'd been less into Christmas – if he'd been so uninto Christmas that he hadn't written the letter at all, Krampus wouldn't right. have shown up. So the fact that he Krampus, has even a little Christmas in him that fucks it up. Yeah, right, because Krampus is it's the it's the inverse of St. Nicholas. Yeah, so if you don't care about either one, no big deal. But if you're invested in Christmas, you're either going to get punished or rewarded. It's like an atheist in a Exorcist movie. And he's like, what? I don't even believe in this shit. <laughs> I am the target. Come on. So unjust. Uh, so have have you seen? Make it an alien. Kelly, one. Have you seen Trick or Treat? The, the guys. No, but I was curious. 
curious about it. It makes it seem like when I found out what it was, I, the movie kind of made more sense to me. Like, oh, he's just doing every holiday like Gary Marshall. Yeah, and there, there's a great uh, creature design in Trick or Treat as well. And there's kind of some clever writing in that. But uh, it's an anthology, right? It's an anthology. Um, it's uh, yeah. It's Did little, I see it? Do you like it? Yeah, yeah. I it's, it, it's my under for this. Like, I, I liked this, and I liked Trick or Treat. I didn't like them. I wasn't crazy about them, and I think this is a little better than Trick or Treat. It's more focused uh, because it's not an anthology. Uh, and the cast of this, by the way, is great. Like Trick or Treat, he managed to get like like Brian Cox, for instance, is in one of the sequences in Trick or Treat. Uh, Leslie Bibb, D- Dylan Baker, yeah, Leslie Bibb, yeah. So uh, Anna Paquin, um, really? But, uh, yeah, she's uh, she's got a pretty cool part. Um, she topples. Mm, that's you'd have to watch that Vampire Diaries TV show, I think, to get that. Okay. Sorry, Kelly Wand. Just uh, curious. So my under is trick or treat. My over. Have you guys seen a Christmas movie called Rare Exports? It's <laughs> that's a, ter- a Christmas movie title. Yeah, it's a terrible name for a Christmas movie title, isn't it? Uh, Rare Exports. It's a it's a Finnish language movie, uh, and the director went on to do a movie called Big Game in which the President of the United States is shot down by terrorists over Finland, and a little boy who's out hunting has to rescue him from the terrorists. Oh, yeah, I remember that thing. Yeah, it's basically Die Hard in the for- in, in Finland. Uh, Wait, and that's Christmas-themed? No, no, that's the guy who did Rare oh, Exports. Right, okay. his, this is his big buddy, and then Samuel Jackson plays the president. Uh, so b- before he did that movie, he did a really... Uh, it's it's rooted in, in Finnish mythology. It's kind of like Troll Hunter is to Norway in a way uh, of what Saint Nick is and, and of the elves and stuff. Uh, and kind of the less said, the better, because it's a really weird, different horror movie about Christmas. Um, rare exports. So, yeah, so I would put rare exports over uh, uh, Krampus, which I would put over Trick or Treat. So, so Dingus, you you weren't into this at all. What were your over-unders? I'm presuming you bracketed it. So other movies you didn't like, either a little more or a little less than this. All right, a movie I didn't like a little more than this is the 2010 version of Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Um, Mainly because I just don't find these little creatures that are laughing in the background (laughs) to be scary when I'm watching a movie. Um, so all the little goofy laughing in the background and the skittering across the ceiling, that kind of stuff in this movie, um, uh, didn't make me afraid. And that stuff in the most recent, don't be afraid of the dark that we saw. Uh, real quick, let me ask, uh, do Jawas terrify you? (laughs) No, they do not. All right. Don't (laughs) see. They terrified R2-D2. Then don't see the movie Phantasm. Well, all right. Well, I should have put Phantasm as my over because that would have been a great choice. Because uh, uh, yeah, you're supposed but, to be afraid of Jawas and Phantasm. Yeah. yeah okay. So what, what is I your over? Really well, they're your grandparents. What's going on with that weird other world and the dwarves and the Jawas running around in that other world? And it, uh, it's all scientifically explained, by the way, in Phantasm. I don't know if you know this. It's straight up yeah. science. I mean, it's just it's the gravity of another planet. I know, yeah. and, and there's a number of peer-reviewed play, uh, papers that I should have yeah. read. Yeah, I agree. Science. Yeah, yeah. So I, I will say, Phantasm is as hard science as Interstellar, and I'm saying that, and I will stick to that, by the way. Yeah. But not quite as 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 uh, much as climate control. What's that? Uh, tall, tall man change, to save to say. What's climate change? You know, like uh, you know, all of the peer-reviewed play, uh, papers. Oh, oh I... <laughs> uh, global warming and climate change. Uh, I would say that. Um, 
The movie you're talking about is ahead of those papers. See, you confused me, Dingus, because I thought we were talking about movies, and you jumped into actual science. I jumped into politics. I apologize. But I was thinking maybe there was a movie called Climate Change. It was. uh... No, I was just talking (laughs) about. I was just uh, riffing on peer uh, peer reviewed papers. Right. Right. Uh, So my over. Okay, so Dingus, yeah, stop making fun of Republicans and give us your over. My over is purely tonal. And based on just weird things happening in the neighborhood, and so I would barely put the the movie Neighbors over this movie. <laughs> wow, the Dan Aykroyd John Belushi. Oh no 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 the uh, the Seth Rogen uh, Zach Afron thing. Very good, yes. Okay. Yes. Because there's a bunch of houses being destroyed, and also Rose Byrne is in the cast, and I really like her a lot. Kelly Wan Dingus wouldn't know this. I'm not going to ask you, Dingus. But Kelly Wan, isn't there some movie Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi called Neighbors with uh, Yeah, Kathy Moriarty. Yeah, Kathy Moriarty, and it's called Neighbors, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's uh, it's weird. It's it's good up to a point. But it's awesome, Kathy Moriarty, though, right? Like I remember oh, being a kid and seeing that and thinking, "Holy cow, that's a woman!" Yeah. No, she looks amazing. Yeah. So. And she plays like a vampy. Uh, it's called Neighbors. Sex-wise. Yep. Yeah. The original Neighbors. Yeah. So. It was a troubled production, so it's a really it's an even weirder tone than Krampus. There's like a lot of. Uh... Was, was John, this is kind of sad, but was John Belushi in any movie that wasn't a troubled production? <laughs> Continental Divide went okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's not. That's not. No. Uh, oh, is wait, Continental Divide isn't John Belushi? Are you, oh no, is it is. But uh, who's oh, yeah, the yeah. woman in it? Blair Brown. Blair Brown, yeah. Isn't it from Altered States? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, listen to us old guys. For some reason, I thought it was uh, Pam Dauber. Mm. What were you laughing at us for, though, when we said John Belushi? And you went, oh, John Belushi, Cottonwood Divide. Because I actually thought you said Jim Belushi. Oh, uh, dingus. Uh, really? <laughs> and by thought... the way, I don't think it's. I don't think the Tom Hanks movie is called Neighbors. It's not. Tom Hanks movie? That's not what we're talking about. He's thinking of Burbs now. Wait, what do you yeah, yeah, he's thinking of Burbs. Yeah. No, we're talking yeah, about that. Yeah, there's a movie, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi called Neighbors. The oh, movie with, with with Seth Rogen and, and Zac Efron stole its title. Yeah. Where did Tom Hanks come into there's this? A, there's a movie oh, called Burbs. That right, I, I know. But where did Dingus... Oh, he thinks... He thought we were talking about. In the suburbs, you have Neighbors. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, all right, so Kelly Wand, what were your over and under for... Uh, for uh, not sure, for Krampus. My over was uh, Back to the Future is because of torn up letters. They get reassembled. Jeez, wait, hold that note, Kelly Wand. Uh, we, we all think, like, wasn't Allison Tolman, though, awesome in this? Like, wasn't it awesome to get to watch her? I, I, thought I was, was so happy to see her again. Yeah. I mean, I really, I really loved her so much in the first season of Fargo, and I really wanted to see her do some cool stuff in movies. And I was she wondering, has, she, has, she was real good then. She has such a thankless part in the gift um, that it was nice to see her. And, and just a scene of her and Tony Collette talking. It's like sisters. I was like, yes, this is awesome. Just put more of this in the movie. Uh, yeah, so that's another thing. That they, and what were they even talking oh, about? Was, when they're talking uh, about the ornament. Oh, the, and the angel? I really liked yeah, it. I did like it, that a lot, yeah. Because, Dingus, that's a scene that would pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> like, that was like, hey, we've got two women talking. They're not talking about a dude. This is awesome. Let's see more of this. Yeah. Unless it's a male angel. Come on. But I've kind of seen that thing play out too. That that whole uh, you got mom's angel. Oh, how did that happen? You know, oh, we used to fight about who would put it on the tree, and oh, you kept everything. And I love I love the way that the two of them look at those things, and especially the way she looks at that picture that's on the tree. And 
And I think she's looking at, oh, gosh, what have I done in my life? What has she done in her life? I love love the dynamic between the two of them. And you know what monster attacks Tony Collette in the attic? It's the angel ornament. The angel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which, uh, yeah, with this creepy tongue stuff. Uh, That might be reading more into the movie than what's really there. But I was like, hey, that's that's nice that she, you know, she got the angel. She has to fight this one now. I also love that advent calendar, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. Shame mm-hmm. that didn't come along earlier for our three by three. Seriously, all right. Well, it's a movie that took place in a day, but it's got a calendar callback, so it's kind of a weird combo, huh? So, Kelly, one, this movie was not as good. This movie was better than Back to the Future. You're saying? No. <laughs> this movie was not quite as good as Back to the Future. You're saying? Yes. All right. So then, what was your under? My under um, is uh, Jack Frost. Both the Michael Keaton one and the oh. non-Michael Keaton one. Where the snowman, like, rapes the chick in the bathtub? See, that's the non-Michael Keaton Yeah, that's... The that's... Michael Keaton one, he doesn't rape the chick in the bathtub. What's the Michael Kelly Keaton? Preston. Uh, he, it's a... He dies and comes back as a snowman, and then he teaches his kid how to uh, win, it, win it sled races and not be such a pussy. Wow. Biggest, have yeah. you seen that one? No, but I remember the trailer. Because I, I remember the line where uh, where I think his kid says, you're the man, and Michael Keaton goes, I'm the snowman. Oh, my God. Is yeah. that, now, Dingus, is that good writing or bad writing? That's, bad. <laughs> That's like writing for the trailer. It's like trailer-specific writing. It's probably the movie that the character in Birdman was having trouble with <laughs> in his brain. You the bird? Yeah. I'm the bird man. Huh. Oh, guys. All right, well, Kelly, surely you at least were able to call some valuable life lesson from Krampus. What what would that have been for you? Not life lesson, but tongue technique. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between. One, two, three, All right, so I guess that brings us to the three by three this week. Calgary. Kelly Wand, what is, oh no, no, Dingus, what is this week's 3 by 3 I'd like you wished it. All right, yeah. No, we're going to get yours later, Kelly Wand. You stand by. You're giving us one for next week. There I'll stay are. in a holding pattern. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, I hated this one at first, but now I love it. Oh, good. These are your three favorite watches and clocks. This is not to include countdown timers, which has already been done. Oh, okay, never mind. i got to change all mine. Oh, no. No, I don't. <laughs> Elsa Tolman. And uh, Kelly's going next week. So, yeah, so Kelly, start us off your third favorite watcher clock. You cannot include a countdown clock, Kelly Wand. Or countdown. Oh. Wait. (sighs) Yep, that's right. Go back. Countdown timer. Uh, Dingus, explain to him. (laughs) You've already had this topic before, Kelly. It was your topic. (laughs) So, we can't have countdown timers as part of this. Yeah, nothing from. The bomb in MacGruber, nothing like right. that. You're not going to be able to use that. All right. Well, one of is iffy still, Uh-oh. but it won't be my third one. But all mine are watches. Good. Good. I, I kind of wish I kind of wish Dingus had just said watches because yeah, because clocks, clocks are different. Yeah, I Kelly want all mine are watches as well. Let's see if Dingus was able to stick to watches or if he had stick to, to his own. Yeah, who knows with that character? I, know. I wanted a sundial, but I couldn't think of one. You did bring that up, yeah. I'm sure there's got to be one in, like, a Mel Brooks set History of the World thing. There's got to be a sundial gag in that, right? Uh, I can't believe 
how small my brain is. Well, give us some indication by giving us your number one, two, and three, starting with your third favorite clock or watch in a movie. My number three is from the motion picture Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah, that's mine too, uh, jerk. Quit stealing mine. That's your three? Yeah. I've got two that are better, so suck it. Yeah, me too. I wonder if they're all the same. Has that ever happened? There's not a watch in Pulp Fiction. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, so I did a thing where, as I was looking up the particular watches, like as I was looking up uh, the scenes I was thinking of... Um, That's cheating. Well, no. So here's the deal. Remember. <laughs> I need to make sure, because watches in movies are almost invariably product placement, and I didn't realize that. Uh, well, in and James it's kind Bond of, movies, definitely. Yeah. It, way beyond James Bond. It goes way beyond James Bond. Because every single one of my picks... Uh, just looking it up, I was able to find discussions about what kind of watch is that or or proud proclamations from a company. This oh. is our watch in this movie. Uh, so in Pulp Fiction, um, it's not a product placement, but there are discussions <laughs> be good one, where, where people have, have found out that it's – and they've, they've even linked to the actual watch. It's, it's, a, it's a company called Lancet. Um, I've never heard of them, but that watch has been identified. Um, oh, wow. Cool. So, Kelly, why is this your number three? What makes this your number three pick? Just because, uh, as a watch, I really liked like it, the story is payoff for where he's telling, describing what the watch has been through. Mm-hmm. Like you're looking at the watch the whole time, so you have a good sense of its heft, and so then to find out that it was in there for a year, is kind of weird. it definitely it's does weird. create a physical sensation of discomfort, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to like a Dayglo watch, which would have been. <laughs> he could have just bought that on the way. I got, by the way, uh, this happened. <laughs> well, Kelly, yeah. while that was what uh, made it appeal to you, I all of my picks, by the way, are watches that tell you something very important about characters. Um, and they're That's all what I meant watches. to say. <laughs> well, and this tells you a lot about Butch, and it, it's not shy about telling you that, of course, because we've got that great monologue. Um, and, you know, we, we know it was a watch bought from a little general store in Knoxville, Tennessee in World War One. That's how it's introduced. And Butch even says how important it is to him. And he says that uh, he even explains the watch is a symbol of war. And he's fighting a war with uh, with uh, uh, Marcella, wait, Marcellus Wallace. Is that his name? Yeah. 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 So he, you know, he, he, he sort of it's it's like his, his heirloom, his birthright, basically, is, is this watch. Uh, but. Kind of more importantly, the watch is a catalyst of so much that happens in Pulp Fiction. You know, it's his undoing because he he goes back to get the watch, and that's how he gets caught. That's how he runs to Marcellus Wallace, and it gets John Travolta killed. Um, but it's also his redemption because it gives him the opportunity to 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 rescue Marcellus Wallace uh, from what they get wrapped up in. Um, yeah. But and I think Quentin Tarantino is very keenly aware that the movie kind of pivots around this this watch uh, in very unexpected ways. Uh, Maybe that's the gold thing in the briefcase, because it's gold, too. No, because whatever's in the briefcase, Tim Roth recognizes. That's the yeah. weird thing about what uh, it is, is when Tim Roth says, is that what I think it is? Like, that that kind of ruins any theory about what what could be in there. Um, maybe he knows it's uh, the watch. Maybe he ran it. Maybe Christopher Walken gave him the monologue. Yeah, just his watch. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it just Wait, says, what so, are you saying it is? Well, there's no. I mean, it's a MacGuffin. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's nothing. Uh-oh. I mean, people say, is it the Holy Grail or is it Nazi gold or? But it's nothing. I mean, it's just it's some mystical, all important thing uh, that anybody would recognize. And there's no such. If it was the Holy thing. Grail, would you go? Oh, is that what I think it is? Or would you go? Oh, is that the Holy Grail? No, I would go. Why do you have a cup and a briefcase? Hey, I liked Krampus. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, so Dingus, our number three picks are both Pulp Fiction. What is your third favorite watch That's in boring. a movie? Oh, right, is that boring? Because the ties are boring. Just right. have to be different. I don't think like we're, we're going to tie difference. anymore. I might tie one with Dingus, at least one. Mm. Bold, bold words, bold thoughts. What I meant by tie is Dingus might have stolen one of mine. That's what I meant to say. Strange days, strange nights. Here's a quote from my number three choice for best watch in a movie. That watch costs more than your car. Ah, oh, it's my number one. Shit. My ah. list sucks. <laughs> Fuck. I don't like this game anymore. I'm not doing it. I like that scene, but I don't care about the watch. I mean, I oh, like to discuss awesome. about... I, I don't know. So, Dingus, do you know what kind of watch it is? Yeah, it's a yellow gold Rolex Day-Date. Oh, it's a Rolex. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's known as a Day-Date. It's, it's a very special Rolex watch. Are you uh, saying day-date? Like day one date. word, day-date? Well, day-date. Day-date. Huh. It sounds a little precious. It sounds like a little. It sounds a little too precious of a name for something for like. Who's a, a, a day day? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not going out on a <laughs> day and a date. It's a it's a very special watch that gives you the day and date, and it's a gold Rolex. I think it's. Do you know how much uh, a, one of those would actually cost? Uh, it costs twenty six thousand dollars. Twenty six thousand dollars. Wow. Are you just saying that, or you really did look it up? No, I'm just saying that. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I, I have a. Well, I'll okay. get to mine in a minute. All right. So go ahead. All right, so I, I do actually love this moment uh, because of the way that because of the way the scene plays out and the way I remember actually first first watching this movie and wondering um, as the scene winds up, is he going to remember that he put his watch on Ed Harris's desk? Oh. <laughs> I was kind of nervous about that at the end of that scene because this this scene is Check out his watch. is famously. Uh, a written scene to go into the movie for Alec Baldwin uh, that I don't think was in the play. Uh, right. th- this was basically written for the movie in order to put Alec Baldwin in the movie because he wanted to put him in, but he wasn't going to work for any of the characters that were already going through the movie. And I love the the way that looks. I love the way he takes it off his wrist and, and shows it to Ed Harris and how he's using it to cow him, leaves it on his desk for the entire rest of the presentation. You know, he says this, he's already insulted him. He's already said, you drove here in a Hyundai. Uh, I drove here in an eight, eight, $80,000 BMW. That's my name, basically. And he goes through the rest of the whole presentation and then he walks back over and he picks it up and he puts it back on his wrist. And I love that moment. I love that moment where he goes back to the desk and he picks it up and goes, yeah, I didn't forget this. Um, Cause I just remember that first moment. This is one of the reasons why I included it is that first moment watching this wondering, uh, don't forget your watch. Kelly Wan, why is it your favorite watch of all movies? All movie watches, why is this one your favorite? I just remember it really put what I drove as a car in perspective <laughs> when I first saw that movie. I'm like, fuck. Because I'd stopped wearing a watch like a couple years prior to that, and I realized that my priorities were all screwed up. So it was a, it was sort of a life-changing, eye-opening experience. And you, instead of wearing a watch, did you have a car? Yeah. Yeah, so you could have... I used my car to tell time. <laughs> Most cars have a watch in them, by the way. 
Yeah, the speedometer you can use like miles per hour if you just drive oh it many gosh. miles per hour. You know? yeah, do a little quick math, find how long it takes you to get from one point to another, and yeah, exactly. That's why I got the car, so I could tell what time it was by driving it. You know? Well, the thing is, I still wear a watch. I wear watches every day, and I have a whole collection of watches. I love you watches. You wear multiple watches every day? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I wear them on my ankles. I wear them on my wrist. Kelly um, one, you know, in a in a share concert, how she has costume changes. That's yeah. what Genghis is like with watches every day. Uh, I love I love watches. The only problem is managing the batteries is very difficult. Um, but I, I love watches because because most of the, most people don't bother with them anymore because they all have phones. And when you think about why bother wearing a watch, everybody has a phone that tells them the time, but. Not a week goes by that some kid or somebody doesn't come up to me and go, hey, do you know what time it is? Can you tell me what time it is? Because I've got a watch on my hand. I've, I've always got a watch on because I love the way they feel, um, and I love my collection of watches. I love them so much. So seeing them in movies makes me very, very happy. And what, So this is a Rolex day date. Do you have a Rolex in your collection, Dingus? Oh, I do not. I, I bought a knockoff Rolex when I lived in New York. You know, 25 years ago, and it it promptly died. It was like, what uh, is the what is the if someone wanted a Rolex, like what's the cheapest a Rolex would ever cost? Do you know? The knockoff oh, one's called a Rolex, by the way. Kelly Wand. Oh, good lord! I have gotcha. no idea. I, I imagine they okay. would be in the thousands. Okay. Well, Kelly Wand, what's your number two favorite? We know your number three is what? Pulp Fiction. We know your number one favorite watch is Glen Gary Glen Ross. What's your second favorite watch in all of movies? All right, this one might be iffy, so I might get pulled over. All right. Dingus, get, get ready. Get ready to turn on the siren and the lights. <laughs> My number two, I'll do a line from it. <clears throat> I heard you was dead. Hmm. What's the watch in that movie, Dingus? The one he's swearing. I heard you was dead? Yeah. Oh, wait. I'm thinking we thought you was a toad. I was thinking of uh, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou. What? <laughs> Tim Tim Flake Nelson says we thought you was turned into a toad or something. We thought you I, was, I was a toad. We thought you right. was a toad. So when you said I heard you was dead, I was thinking of that line. So so your Wait, pick is not from Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Okay. I no, don't know. there's no watches in that movie. <laughs> They're too poor for watches. Yeah. That was before time existed. Uh, the only other one where I know that someone was hurt, everybody thought someone was dead, was Snake Plissken in Escape from New York. Yeah. So I don't know. Oh. That's a countdown timer. Oh, my God. Dingus, are you going to let him get away with that? He wears it like a watch, though. No, he doesn't. He does it to wear it to, wear, to tell the time. He wears it to find out how long it's going to be before the microcharges go off in his neck. Yeah, but he could just say that could just be done with a watch anyway. So the way I see it, it's just like a one-time usage watch, like a burner cell phone. Because they could have just given him a watch and gone, by the way, you have till 830. Dingus, do you want me to arrest him or do you want to do it? No, no. he's he's. I'm putting him in jail. That's sorry. Yeah. yeah. Clearly oh. a character Kelly Wand. No, it's watches come with it's with stop uh watches. You also watch. can't do the thing that uh, Newt gets put on her wrist by Ripley, because that's the same thing. It's a countdown timer, isn't it? Oh no, that's that's, a, that's a homing device. Yeah, that is a homing device, you're right. right. Not a watch though. That also would not apply, I'm assuming. This no, it one is has a digital numbers. That's on definitely it. a watch. The thing that Ripley gives Newt? Yeah, that's a watch. I thought right, it was like some I thought it was some homing device that she uses to track her. No, it it also has that, but it's it's. I think it's a Seiko speed timer, but I'm not sure. Oh, well, Kelly, right, why don't you? That's my number two, though. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say you should have picked that. 
Uh, but yeah, I could totally see Pliskin like looking at that countdown timer to see how much time he's got left. And uh, so clearly, well, maybe there's a watch. There's a there's a, like normal time on it too, but it, he's just not as interested. He's not pressing that function. Like if he'd pressed another yeah, button on the like, side, uh, it give the time. Right. Yeah. I'll sorry. That it's a nice protest you can file from jail, but Kelly Wan, you're arrested. <laughs> All right. Well. All right, I guess well, I lost. My number two pick, and this is the one that I, I looked up the price, and I think I think this might be a plot hole. But okay, my number two pick for a favorite watch in a movie. Uh, at the beginning of Nightcrawler, when we meet Jake Gyllenhaal's character cutting a, a, a chain link fence down, oh, he's nice. going to sell it as scrap. A security guard comes up to him, and he basically gets cold busted. Like he's totally busted. Security guard isn't believing any of his bull. But you see him, and this is how you meet his character, and he's trying to talk his way out of it. And you realize, oh, this guy's a really smooth talker. He's super confident. And then there's an inset shot. There's a shot of Jake Gyllenhaal noticing the guard's watch. And then he beats the guard up, and we cut to the rest of the movie. What we don't see is after he's beat the guard up. But what we know is for the rest of the movie, he is wearing that watch. You, you constantly see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. You see it the moment he's leaving the, the scene of that crime. You see it on his wrist. Later on throughout the movie, you see it hanging on his wrist when he's like holding a camera up to his, to his face. He's constantly wearing it, and you know it's that one because, and I love this detail, it doesn't fit him. It's constantly yeah. like dangling loose. Yeah. Like it's not perched on his wrist the way a watch should be because he didn't steal. He's not wearing it because it fits it. He's like wearing it as kind of a memento of this guy he beat up and he liked his watch. Um, and it's this great idea of like establishing this character with no dialogue. You see yeah. that here's this guy not just looking to, to get away from being caught in an in, in incriminating situation, but he's always on the lookout for like how to enrich himself or what, what thing, what bauble or what thing of value can he take away from this terrible circumstance. Um, and he wears it as, as, like a, as like a medal through the rest of the movie. Or a trophy, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like a trophy. That's a great choice. Yeah. So I looked at this up, Bing. It's, an, it's the thing is I also was like looking at the trailer to make sure that, yeah, he was wearing it throughout the movie. Uh, and in looking that up, it's it's a watch called a Breitling Chronomat. Breitling, mm. Breitling. Yeah, um, and it's a $3,000 watch. And here's the plot hole I'm wondering about. Why does a security guard working at a rail yard in Los Angeles have a $3,000 watch? Uh, Maybe he took it off the last trespasser. Well, what it is, it's because watches, I think, are product placement. And I'm sure Breitling... You know, they, you know, the night, the folks doing Nightcrawler come to Brightling and say, hey, you know, we'll have Jake Gyllenhaal wearing your watch throughout this movie. Uh, you know, what are you going to pay for product placement? Dude, even that watch costs more than my car. But how can they, how can they be assured? Will anybody will ever know that? Well, I think, Dingus, it is like it really is. If you Google this stuff, like there are watch aficionados who like will talk about what. Uh, well, for instance, my number one is also a particular kind of watch. And if you go to this company's website, uh, and we'll talk about it when we get to my number one, they they have a whole page saying, hey, this watch is in this movie. Click this link, and you can see what other movies have had our watches. Um, so I think the watchmakers use it as an advertisement, and then watch aficionados – they know to notice that kind of thing from, from a movie. And just like somebody who saw The Terminator might then buy Ray-Ban sunglasses, maybe somebody who watched Nightcrawler would want to know what kind of watch Jake Gyllenhaal's character was wearing. Or if about Terminator Genesis, wait, if they watched Terminator Genesis, they'd buy a teddy bear. 
What? There's a teddy bear in there? Yeah, because he keeps his Oh, oh, oh right, right. Or, or uh, wait. They'd buy a time machine. Or for Terminator 2, they might buy a, a roses, a box of roses. Or in Terminator 3, they might buy a veterinarian. <laughs> So what? at any rate, my num- my number two pick is <laughs> is uh, is Jake Gyllenhaal's Breitling Chronomat three thousand dollar watch in uh, Nightcrawler. All right, Dingus, what is your number two favorite watch in a movie? <laughs> Chronomat. That's what they use in Philip K. Dick novels to teleport. <laughs> you just remind me of of another J of another uh, Jake Gyllenhaal watch. My, what what I just said? Uh, no, what Tom just said. Oh, okay. Stupid question. All right, well, tell us during the runners-up. I'll, I'll tell you during runners-up. You it can just, sub it in for number one, Dingus, and we wouldn't be any the wiser. No, my, I, my number two. I'm pretty happy with my number one. My number two, I feel bad because I chose a clock, and you guys are like, oh, no clocks, man. Uh-huh. But you you had to compromise. That's how we talk. Compromise your Because I didn't think you guys would be able yeah. to come up with watches, so I uh, went ahead and I did, easily. Yeah. I think there's three awesome ones. Yeah, no, Kelly Kelly came up with two and a countdown timer. <laughs> <laughs> so Kelly one Dingus is doing way better than you because he doesn't have any countdown timers on his list so far. Dingus is doing way better than you. <laughs> That's how you sound to me, no offense. That's how your voice sounds. I want to get that looked at. <laughs> Professional. Okay, what? Stingus is number one? Escape from L.A.? Well, we don't know. We're still on his, his number two pick. His number three pick was Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Dingus, oh, what do you Jesus. have Dingus, maybe give us a quote. All right, here's, yeah, the, this here's the quote. The Miami Flyer, leaving at 12.05. Oh, tough guys with Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster. Where are they leaving? Murder on their own express. So, uh, yeah. uh, newsies. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, it's from the movie The Untouchables, um, and the uh, the whole idea in that bus sequence is that the bus, the Miami Flyer, in which the bookkeeper is going to be leaving, is leaving at 12.05. And so Elliot Ness and Stone are waiting in the bus station to find the bookkeeper when he comes in, because they cannot let him leave, and they cannot let him be killed. And so... It's very important, this whole thing that Brian De Palma is doing with that sequence, that there's basically a watch telling you what's going on and when. And so up on the, 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 um, on the wall, over the doors of the bus station, at the top of the stairs, is this huge clock. And the clock basically says 10 till 12. The bus is leaving at 12.05. And... Kevin Costner is having to constantly refer to that clock. And you see it in the scene when they first walk in. You see it later on when the camera pans up to Kevin Costner after he sends Stone, sorry, Elliot S. after he sends Stone down to, like, look down through the bus station. And he looks up at the clock and it's at just like four minutes till 12. And it, and the clock creeps up to that 12 of five. Uh, and I love that. I love that, that, Beautiful, big, just, it's just a plain big clock right there on the wall, uh, so that everybody can look up and refer to when are the buses leaving. Not like now when you would just go to look at a huge bank of, of digital screens saying, uh, with, with a bunch of digital readouts saying when are trains leaving or when are airplanes leaving or whatever. You're just looking at a clock on a wall. And it and one of the most impressive things about that scene is that it's really difficult to keep that type of thing um, 
working as far as continuity is concerned. But whenever that clock is in the shot, they are they are and, and it's an analog clock. Obviously, the the time has advanced appropriately to what's going on in the scene. See, Kaiwan, why couldn't you have something like that for your number two pick? I don't know. <laughs> Dingus, is it better than the big old clock in Hugo? You know what? Um, <laughs> I hope I didn't scoop anyone's pick. By the way, sorry. No, but I was I was kind of constantly thinking this week about watches and clocks that have all these moving mechanisms and are really beautiful looking clocks. But watch parts. Yeah, but I I basically just chose things that had more to do with character and story. Uh, than were pretty watches because as much as I love pretty watches and there are a lot of pretty watches with beautiful mechanisms in them in movies um, I was thinking more of things that were character oriented that's what I did with my number two yeah. Escape from there, yeah that's real character oriented yeah. says a lot about Snake Christian. Christian. Right, right. He, he, yeah he was, all, he was lopsided and would throw off his aim I kept trying like, to think of something where like a character takes a watch off and puts it on a, like a table in front of him, or like a sniper is putting a watch on the the. Like I kept, I was thinking there's, oh. there's some scene I'm trying to think of. Oh, drive. Somebody, oh, when drive. is it drive? Uh, oh, that's my number one pick. I'm changing it. He puts no. the watch on the on the steering wheel. Exactly, Dingus. Oh my God, exact. Thank you. That's my number two. I was kidding Holy before. Fuck, Tom. What is he timing then? Is it like when he's, the guy like, is going to pick up the, the no? His, his whole spiel is like you've got five minutes, right? Right. Like when he's going to pick up the people, like who he's going to yeah. get away from the crime. He's like inside and outside of five right. minutes, I'm yours. Outside of that, see ya. And he puts right. the watch on the steering wheel and he sets it and he waits and he looks at it. Like doesn't he close it up around the wheel or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. he actually like as if the wheel were a wrist. He puts right, it wearing it. That's totally actually, what I was thinking of. Thank you, Dingus. Yeah. But that's not my it's number one. It's made out of scorpion skin, the strap. Okay, <laughs> oh, it's terrible. <laughs> the, and the steering wheel is the turtle. Yeah. Uh, my number one pick uh, is another uh, movie where a watch says something about the character. Characters, plural, in this one. Uh, and this is a movie about two characters being separated by time. But early on in the movie, before that separation, one character gives a watch to another character uh, as a way to bring them closer together. And it doesn't really work. But the, the theme of the movie is time separating people. And this watch is a very important factor in, by the way, ultimately reuniting them. Uh, and the movie is interstellar. So when uh, – when why are you laughing? Just that movie. <laughs> you invoked uh, it earlier. That was clever, Tom. Uh when did it, oh yeah, yeah, right. So suck it, Kelly Wand. Uh, so when uh, Matthew point. McConaughey has to leave to to go pilot the uh, the Endurance to go pilot the ship to do this exploration mission, uh, his daughter Murph uh, doesn't want him to go because he doesn't know when he's going to come back. So he has a scene, and I love this scene um, where he's explaining to her that he has to do it, and he's explaining to her about how time will run differently for them. So he gives her a watch, and he says, "Here, keep this. It's just like mine. It's mm. like a little. It's sort of like a girl version, the one he's wearing." Uh, and he says, "And when I get back, we'll compare them to see how much time has gone by." And he kind of lets slip that when I get back, you might be as old as I am. Like we might be the same age, and won't that be a thing? And she realizes at that point that he he knows he, he might never come back, uh, and and she she is just inconsolate at that, and. She refuses to say goodbye to him, uh, and so he, he. There's this awesome scene where he's driving away from his family, and I think this this edit 
is the point of Interstellar, where he's driving away from the from his home, and the camera is mounted on the side of the pickup truck, the same way that a camera is mounted on the side of a rocket as it's taking off from Earth. Uh, and we're about to see that exact same shot in a really quick edit from driving away from the farm. You know, they don't faff around with any bits where the astronauts are getting prepared and they're they have dialogue before. We just cut from him driving away to the farm to them being in the capsule and the rocket takes off. Uh, and it's that same shot of a camera mounted to the side of the rocket as it's taking off. It's the same thing when he's driving away. And so his daughter comes running out, uh, but it's too late. He's left, and she's clutching the watch. Uh, so from then, she resents him. She doesn't send him any communications in the ensuing years. She ends up to be exactly as old as he is when she finally sends him a message and says, it's my birthday. I'm now as old as uh, as, as you were when you left. Um and she uh, – and yeah, so she at some point goes back to her house where that watch is, and through a series of unlikely events, he uses that watch to communicate data to her, right. which will help them solve gravity basically and, and save humanity uh, by manipulating the, the little second hand and doing Morse code. Uh, but so anyway, I looked all that up. That watch, uh, a company called Hamilton – uh, custom made that watch for the movie. There are only ten of them. Uh, after the production, they gave the watches back to Hamilton. Uh, one of them was given away in a contest. Uh, so the watch doesn't actually exist because it was custom made for Christopher Nolan, uh, the production designer of Interstellar. But there are other Hamilton watches, and if you go to their website, that's where they say, hey, this is our watch we designed just for Interstellar. Here's a list of our other watches that have been in movies. Mm. Uh, can't so, they just use TARS to tell time? Uh, I'm sure they could, but TARS, <laughs> they didn't. They had to take him on the spaceship. They couldn't leave yeah. him behind with a little uh, chest and oh. girl. And by the way, I love how that little girl looks like – this is an amazing job of taking kid actors to be counterparts to, to adult actors we know. You know, the little girl who's going to – her name is, I think, Courtney Foy, something like that uh, – who's going to grow up in a Jessica Chastain, they look so much alike. And even the kid has this Casey Affleck thing going. Uh, I love the kid casting in that movie. So I know you guys aren't into Interstellar. Every time I watch that movie, I like it more. Uh, and no, I, but love I love that pick. Watches. I really love that yeah. pick. So, Kelly, was what was your number one, Kelly? Kelly was uh, number one was Glengarry Glenn Ross. He Glengarry stole yours, Dingus. He stole Pulp Fiction from me. He stole Glengarry Glenn Ross from you. Right. Nobody stole Escape from New York. <laughs> right. Me. Nobody took that one, Kelly Wine. Good point. All right, Nick. Escape New York. Briefly. Favorite watch in a movie. And you can't pick Drive because we didn't. We thought of that too late. Yeah, that's true. All right. Um, here's a quote from it. She said it ahead a half hour so I'd never be late. I feel like I recognize Clockwise. It. John Cleese. Uh, no. Clockwork Orange. Uh, this is my favorite watch in movies, and I can't name it because it's a cheap watch. Uh, it's a crappy watch, and it's totally character-related, and um, it's a movie I've chosen before, and Tom Lord, you mentioned. This is from Midnight Run. <laughs> the title so, gives away there's a watch in the movie. Huh? So one of the, one of the character gags in the movie is that Jack Walsh has this watch uh, that he wears, and he's constantly tap-tapping it. 
and then listening to it to see oh, yeah. if it's ticking and he tap taps it. And a couple of times Charles Grodin asks him about it and Jack tells him to fuck off. And then they're, uh, they're finally, they're on a, they're, they've hoboed onto a train car and there's this great scene where, uh, where uh, Charles Grodin is asking him, you know, he he actually plays the scene for himself first. He says, Jack, what? Uh, I have a question. No, shut the fuck up. And he's doing this whole thing himself. And then he makes a joke about bestiality with chickens. And then he finally asks him, like, come on, you, you told me your feelings about chicken. Tell me about the watch. And then, um, and then Jack Walsh has this, this, you know, heartfelt monologue about, you know, this is the first watch my uh, the woman who's going going to become my wife gave me, and uh, I was always late. I was always about a half hour late for everything. So she gave me this watch. It's the first big gift she gave me. She set it forward half hour so I'd never be late, but it never really worked, and it doesn't work now. And and uh, and the Duke says, you know what? Sometimes you got to realize it's time to move on. It's time to get a new watch. Uh, and so it, the whole thing throughout the movie is, is Jack constantly looking at this watch. And, you know, I have, I have a couple of watches that don't quite work that well. I have a watch that's set too far ahead. I, I always find myself looking at them and then looking at the clock on the wall or looking at my phone to double check what the actual time is. But I love, I mean, there's, there's just a something, there's something about that feel that, that, that physical action of rolling your wrist to look at your watch, even when you know your watch is probably going to be right. And so I totally understand what that character is doing and why he has this sentimental attachment. Because I have a few watches. I have one that my sister gave me that will probably never work because it needs two batteries because it changes colors for some reason. I've got this great watch that my mom and stepdad gave me that needs, again, two batteries, which is super expensive to change because it has two different faces on it. But I keep them for sentimental reasons, and sometimes I wear them if I go out like for a special occasion or whatever. Um, so I totally understand wiring a watch for sentimental reasons as sort of a, as, as a, I don't, I don't know, like a, like a piece of jewelry or something, but, but you're still, you're still going to look at it. You're still going to look at the face of it. Even if you know that it's not going to tell you the time. All right. Dingus, you've invoked, uh, I, I can't, I mean, I, I should mention runners up, but you've directly brought this up. There's the awesome bit where Aaron Eckhart gives Amy Brenneman a non-working watch in the beginning of Your Friends and Neighbors <laughs> and says, yes, yeah, some people wear watches as jewelry. And Ben Stiller, who's into Amy Brenneman, is like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. And then Catherine Keener, who's just venomous towards him, is like, have you? Who have you seen do that? Like they have that, that whole discussion over a non-working watch being worn. So – you just made me think of the exchange at the beginning of your friends and neighbors. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's awesome. <laughs> but then at the end of the movie, when they have their when they have their tearful goodbye, um, uh, Jack is about. Jack has just let uh, the Duke go. He's walking away, and then he stops. He pulls the watch off, watch off his off his uh, wrists. It you know it has one of these expandable bands, so you don't have to unclip it or anything like. Alec Baldwin has to like clip his watch back to his wrist, so it's a little bit awkward. Um, so, and he just slips it over Charles Gordon's wrist and goes, "Here you go. This is this is a reminder of our adventure together." Um, and this is right before, of course, uh, Charles Grodin gives him all the money, but he, he just slips this wrist over this uh, watch over his wrist and says, "This is a reminder of our little adventure, showing that." Jack Walsh is about to move on with his life. And I just love that whole little character interplay of just constantly tapping on his watch, listening to it in in sort of this 
I don't know. It's, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it teretic, but it's it's just this tick that I, I've just learned to do this over the years. This is something that I always wear on my wrist, and I wear it because I think my wife will finally return to me. Um, so that's that's my number one. Do they still make those expandable uh, wrist things? Because those are. I don't you're, know, you're... Tom. I've I've never I've not seen one in a long freaking time, and I don't know any of them. I think they just can't. I mean, they're a terrible idea because you get, like, your wrist hairs caught in them. I, I, I like, used to hate that. Oh, yeah, man. Those are awful. Yeah. Even are before thinking... I had a lot of wrist hairs when I was an adolescent, they were just horrible. They would just yank at you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Dingus, what do the readers have for their favorite uh, watches and clocks? And then we've got some runners-up. All right, first we have Grant Stewart. Uh, I've started getting into mechanical watches over the last year or so, mostly through being curious about the watches people were wearing in movies. So I could get a lot of mileage on this subject, but since you aren't running a 10 by 10 I'll give you my top three. I've avoided so any see, thing bonds. Is, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like somebody who's into watches who then yeah. cares about what's in a movie. Grant exactly. Stewart, you're the guy we're talking about. All right, so what does he come up with? Uh, I've avoided any Bond watches as they are a subject in and by themselves. Number three, Robert Redford wears a Doxa Shark Hunter in Three Days of the Condor. Mm. Wow, Grant, you went deep. You know, this makes um, me now, though, want to know, like, okay, what was he wearing in All is Lost? Like, <laughs> it's like, no, seriously. <laughs> um, uh, he wears a Doxa Shark Hunter. There's a watch God, called a Doxa. So Doxa is D-O-X-A, by the way, Shark Hunter. By the way, in, way better name than Day Date. Yeah, seriously. Day-date. Which is really eye-catching as he wears it on leather cuff instead of a bracelet. Uh, oh, I like leather cuffs on watches a lot. Yeah, that's a good point, Grant. Uh, it's not an especially important timepiece, but it's a pretty solid movie. Uh, the watch was worn by Jacques Cousteau during a time when divers' lives depended on accurate timekeeping, and ah. he apparently also had input into the, into the design. Well, hence the name. There you go. Uh, I had to mention the watch because I love it, and I just bought one. Mm-hmm. Grant Stewart, put me on your Christmas list. Uh, number two, my second favorite watch in a movie is the one given to young Butch by Christopher Walken, having been hidden in an uncomfortable body cavity of his father for five years and Walken for a further two years in a Vietnamese POW camp. The watch is described as his great-granddaddy's war watch, which is interesting as he has basically started a war with Marcellus Wallace. His forefathers had worn this watch in battle, and no sooner does Bruce Willis put it on than the battle commences. Uh... He says the make and model of the wristwatch isn't clarified in the movie, but is described as being made by the first person ever to make wristwatches. So assuming Butch's great-granddaddy bought a men's watch, that would make it a Cartier. Absolutely not, because that's the thing that people have discussed, is that Tarantino did not get a watch that's er- that early. Like, it's okay. totally an anachronism, according to this story. Oh, okay. Uh, um, just FYI... Uh, Lee Van Cleef's character, there's a deleted scene in Escape from New York where he tells Kurt Russell that the timepiece he gives him was also in his ass for a year for reasons that they got got cut from the screen. Yeah, but it was still on somebody's wrist. And it was a countdown timer still, yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm just pointing out some interesting film trivia. (laughs) So, Grant Stewart says, if you don't know the movie, then hand in your man card at the door. You've been disqualified. Uh, Grant Stewart's number one. The Patek Philippe that Ryan Gosling wears in Drive. Ah, nice. Mm. 
and uses as a timer on his steering wheel. Oh, thank you, Grant. Sorry uh, that we scooped you, Grant. Sorry. While his, customers, list. while his customers are doing whatever it is they do with their five-minute window is the watch that got me into watches. Damn, I'm so sorry that we jumped on that, Grant. Uh, okay, it's a Patek Philippe. Uh, we see it so early on in one of my favorite opening scenes of all time, so for that reason, it is my favorite. Uh, like everyone, I would like one of these watches very, very much, but I'll never afford one. And even if I could, there would only be three made specifically for the film. And Ryan Gosling got to keep one. What a swine. It's like watches are jewelry for some men. Like, it's like women are with jewelry. I mean, it's the only, I mean, you know, I guess. Some- yeah, because it has a practical function, so men can get away with it. Right, right, exactly. It does, it doesn't I seem know what time it is, baby. Right, it doesn't seem like they're preening when they put on a watch. It's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Damn. You know what, though? I, I, I wish I was a this earlier. I mean, the drive watch is perfect. Yeah. And I had no idea it was that rare. I thought it was just some weird, I mean, a Patek Philippe. I thought it was just some, I don't know, stopwatch that he put on there. And I'm assuming, you know, it's got to be an advertisement for the company. You know, it works. Yeah, right. Brent Stewart wants one, so yeah. yeah. Is the time machine a watch? I guess it tells you what time you want it to be. Oh, go to that time. Um, so, well, well, we'll get to that in runners-up. Next we have okay. Paul Weimer. Uh, Paul Weimer says, Hi guys, I will not go for a cheesy clock pun here, because the, it's time to give you my picks for favorite watches and clocks and movies. By the way, if anybody had come up with a sundial, it would have been Paul Weimer. Yeah. yeah. He lives in his own world. Uh, the number three movie of Paul Weimer. <laughs> well, I guess it would have. In the 1923 silent film Safety Last! Exclamation point. Harold Lloyd, played by Harold oh, Lloyd. Oh, right. Is seen uh, yeah, angling right. from the minute hand of a giant clock face at, the, at 2.40 p.m. high over a busy... That's the name of that movie? As he slips in an attempt to climb in a de- climb a department store window as a stunt for money, it's a scene that's probably better known in homage and reference and still image than people actually watching the film these days. Because I, I was thinking of that and thought it was like Charlie Chapman or Buster Keaton. For or me something. too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Harold Lloyd. Okay, thanks, Paul. Right, safety last. Thank you, Paul. Uh, number two, the clock tower seen in all three iterations of the Back to the Future movie. There we go. 10.04 p.m., November 12, 1955, an electrifying moment that lives in cinematic history as well as the like you. Valley. Number one, Groundhog Day. The clock radio that wakes up Bill Murray as Phil, uh, Bill Murray's Phil every Groundhog Day at 6 a.m. playing I've Got You, Babe. The best iteration of the cycle, once we've seen the reset a couple of times, is seeing the digital face as an oppressive giant version of itself, the numbers turning from 5.59 to 6, and then Phil's inevitable reset of the day, yet again, you really start to feel for the jerk and his plight by this point. Uh, And then Paul says, oh, and Ray, the no good movie set on cruise ships comment, the classic, aka grandpa movie, The Lady Eve, has a third of the movie set on a cruise ship, and it's hilarious. Also, the imposters with Oliver Platt and Stan. No, no, I will not accept the imposters. I cannot stand that movie. No, Paul. Nope. Not going to take that answer. Period piece, mostly set on a cruise ship, is pretty funny. And what about Ghost Ship? Best regards, Paul. I'll take Ghost Ship over uh, imposters and whatever that 
Empire movie is any day. So that on that Paul Weimer, point taken. The other two, no. <laughs> Has either of you seen The Imposters? I find that movie insufferable. No, I didn't see I it didn't because, because of your reaction. I, I yeah. to rely on you to tell me against a movie they don't need to see. My God, I can't stand the theme. Just everybody in that embarrasses him or herself. It's just terrible. Mm-hmm. Kelly Wand, you're the kind of guy that would be like, no, I like The Imposters. Have you seen mm-hmm. it? No. All right. You she's, know what? Uh, Kelly Wand, it's basically a they came together. Oh, I'll, sh- sh- I can check- I'll check it out then. Yeah, Thank you. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for turning me on to a good cinema. <laughs> All right, next we have uh, uh, something. I don't know. Have we had Shaheen Ali before? Uh, maybe. I think so. It I, sounds I, vaguely familiar. Yeah, right. Shaheen. So, uh, Welcome back. Shaheen says, Dear QT3 years, I love listening to your movie podcast each week. I don't often think or notice watches in movies. I use this topic as an excuse to search my most memorable scene to see if a watch was hiding in there. Number three, ah. Pulp Fiction. Christopher Walken explained to a little boy what makes his deceased father watch so special. Speaking nice. of watch hiding in there. Yeah. yeah. Nicely done. Especially like the look of incomprehension on the boy's face. <laughs> um, number two, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Much younger Alec Baldwin mm-hmm. using his gold Rolex. Thank you, Shaheen. To convey to Ed Harris that he is nothing. And number one, Pulp Fiction, the moment John Travolta shoots Marvin in the face, you can see the watch on one arm and casually held gun. Poor Marvin. Oh. So he's using that <laughs> twice. Very nice. Oh. I wonder what kind of watch that was. Hmm. Like, do you see a lot of people saying, I want whatever John Travolta wore when he shot Marvin in the face? I don't know. I want the last thing Marvin saw. <laughs> I'm interested to go looking at watches online now that we've done the topic and see – if there's a lot of like fetishist sites about watches online, I, I bet Grant Stewart could point you towards a few. Oh yeah. Is there such thing as a cock watch, like a cock clock? No. Okay. Yeah, it's one. called a hand. Hmm. Uh, okay. Next we have Arthur Jovangeli. Three, the I'm, great mouse I'm an inventor. The great mouse detective. Oh, yeah. Basil of Baker Baker Street battles Professor Radigan. On the clock hands of Big Ben. Clockface suffers minor yeah. damage during this fight, and I think the time has changed as well. It's an inspired location for the final confrontation between these two English rodents. Wait, is, I Arthur, like that. is Arthur picking a cartoon instead of a movie? No, nah, it's good, though. No, it's, it's a documentary, really actually. It all happens. Cartoon. And then there's like a picture that Professor Radigan, he's, he set up a camera to. T- take a picture of their dead bodies, but they solve it, so then they take a picture of themselves smiling. Wait, what is the movie? What is this? The Great, Great Mouse, Mouse Detective. Detective. And it's about mice as Sherlock Holmes? Yeah. Oh my god. Right. Come on. <laughs> What's the difference? It's in modern times with Cumberbatch or a little tiny mouse. <laughs> is this like a Disney thing? This can't be a Disney thing. I don't yeah, it's, it's, it's full-on Disney. Disney. You didn't wow. see it? The Big yeah. Ben thing, the Big Ben stuff, it was like the first computer animation of it. So, like, oh, you've got to check out the Big Ben and Great Mouse Detective. Well, oh, Watson, nice. Watson is a hobbit, so why not a mouse? Yeah. Oh, dingus. Suddenly so you every, care about source material. Dingus, everybody knows Watson is a hot Asian chick. Watson. Get it? <sighs> wow. Arthur's number hot two. Asian. And he says, brace yourselves. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yep, I, I wondered if yeah. that was going to come up, too. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even know what this means. I don't even know what this is about. 
Right. Mr. Gateau, a blind clockmaker. Oh. <laughs> Jeez. Boy, and this just, movie has been so erased from my memory. <laughs> I totally yeah. downloaded it and then uh, dropped it off my memory banks. I so hated it. All right, Arthur. I mean, no disrespect. Sorry. I watched it backwards, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Oops, Mr. Gateau, yeah. a blind clockmaker, builds a clock that runs backwards for a train station. He does this out of grief for his son, who was killed in the First World War. Hopefully picking this movie, which is far from a podcast favorite, does not land me back in solitary. I'm not trolling. No need to involve the cops. And, Arthur, you will not be arrested for this. Uh, There's nothing that you did not use a countdown timer. Uh, You totally used – you used even a clockmaker which is totally fine. Even though I can't stand the movie, I, there's no reason to arrest you. But we should point out that you, as a listener, are constitutionally protected from arrest just because we don't like a movie. Right. You Absolutely. can pick. You can put the imposters on every single one of your three by threes. We can't touch you. We are legally prohibited from arresting you for that. We can only arrest you if you break the rules of the three by three. Right. You could choose three favorite watches from Prometheus. We would be fine with it. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Arthur's number one choice, Pan's Labyrinth. The broken. Oh, gosh. Nice. Yeah. Wait, go ahead. Yep. The broken pocket watch that Vidal carries with him. The face is cracked because his father smashed it when he died so that his son could know the time of his death. But all tries to do something similar for his son, but is thwarted. He will never even know your name. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great moment. Very good. I can't believe I missed that one. Good, Arthur. Me too. Good job, Arthur. Do you think in Prometheus, uh, (laughs) looked at her watch, she looked at her watch at the end and went, oh, wait, I have time to outrun the spaceship (laughs) rolling towards me, which also also has a clock face on it. (laughs) But then... It was the clock's running slow, or watch is running slow, right. and she de- so she doesn't go. She goes, oh, I don't need to run sideways. Very one, I think you've solved the mystery of Damon Lindelof. Okay. She needs to try harder to read a watch. <laughs> okay, what? Next, we have Dave Perkins. Dave Perkins. Christian. He's talking about talking to somebody named Christian. I'm not sure who that is. I'm sure you will have mentioned this watch in your list, so I will simply provide a quote. You already told me about your feelings for chickens. How private can a watch be? What a great scene, Dave. All right. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Dave Did you guys collaborate on that before the podcast? We we generally do. Um, uh, So Dave is obviously obviously bringing up the watch from Midnight Run. And then Dave also uh, sends a second email for watch number two. I had to Google the images, but I sort of remembered that Dignan in Bottle Rocket wore a watch. Oh, Sure enough, it's one of those thick, thick black rubber watches that has a million readabouts on its face, just like Dignan's actual face, Dave. I mean, you know I can what? see him at some point, like, looking at that or timing No, something? it's when he's shooting. It's when he's shooting his gun. You can see it, and it's like uh, it's like the watch that I was reminded of that um, – oh, God. What's his name? Uh, Jake – Gyllenhaal is wearing in that one movie. It's it's the same. It's almost the same watch. I'm trying to think what this movie is. The, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie is actually called End of Watch. And since we're since we're oh, oh since a cop watch. It's it well it's a it's a G Shock. 
Um, and it's, it, he, I just noticed it because I, my, my regular everyday watch is, is just a, a regular old G-Shock that I got at Costco. It tells time a thousand ways. Uh, I can wear it in the shower. I can wear it in the pool. I can wear it wherever. I never have to worry about it. Uh, it's just the shower's a, totally, a totally utility watch. And I'm pretty sure that Jake Gyllenhaal is wearing that in end of watch. He's wearing like a G-Shock. If if it's not that same watch, it's the same kind of watch. Uh, Kelly Wand, uh, what's a G-Shock? Oh, about half a headway. <laughs> but on your left. So that's, right, that's a little something that Kelly Wand. Uh, Kelly Wand and I worked that out before the podcast. We, we, well done, yeah, both like of you. Perkins. Yeah. You guys have your little watch clan, and me and Tom have our clit guild. <laughs> so I think that I think that the watch that Dignan is wearing when he's shooting is similar to a G-Shock, but some sort of cheap, cheapish, unless there's something he got one of his, on one of his heists. I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Wait, you're oh, reading something. Yeah, yeah, it's you. Oh no, I'm I'm done. I, the reason oh, okay, so- the, the reason I felt safe in, in in dumping my first the uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal thing is that we're done with any listener thing. So what do you guys have for runners up? So I had your friends and neighbors. That, that's an awesome one. Uh, and I only had that because you reminded me of it, Dingus. Uh, here's another one, Dingus. I, I think you'll remember this. Um, this is totally a red herring. But in this movie, uh, some characters go to visit a meteorite crater. And they even talk about how like UFOs have been sighted there. And then at some point during the visit, their watches all – actually, two of them – two of their watches stop at the exact same time. However – this has nothing to do with what will happen in the rest of the movie. Dingus, do you know what I'm talking about? No. Chronicle? Nope. A movie called Wolf Creek. Oh. There's a meteorite in Wolf Creek. There's a crater. It's these, these tourists in, in Australia, uh, and that one of the things they, they do while they're there is they go out into the outback and to look at this meteorite crater, and there's this creepy moment where one of the guys, it's a dude and two girls, he's talking about how UFOs have been sighted there, and then later on they all they realize that their watches have stopped at the exact same time. And then the movie goes on to be about them running into this this really freaky character, and that that's the rest of the movie. There's nothing like supernatural, but that's just this weird little unsettling detail that's introduced early on in Wolf Creek. Hmm. Uh, I also. Oh, go ahead, Kelly. I'm sorry. No, it's. I'm probably going to bail out on this one. I also (laughs) was trying to think of uh, when when Liam Neeson breaks down at the end of Schindler's List. I was pretty sure that. Like he was talking about how many Jews his watch could save. Um, oh, oh no! Oh no! You're right. But but if not, I, I looked at the scene again, and it's not he. The he ring. His, well, no, it's his, his car. Oh, did his, well, his car could save ten, and he has a brooch that could save two. But I thought he did have a thing about a ring, Dingus. I thought it was a ring, ring and I thought that the Seinfeld joke was the watch. Oh, well, I don't know Seinfeld stuff, but I, I did think – like I knew he was talking about jewelry, but you're right. I, th- I thought there was a ring, but in the little snippet I watched on YouTube, it was just the car being worth 10 Jews and the brooch being worth two. Maybe they cut it off too early and there's more. Uh, and maybe there was a watch, but that was one I was thinking of. But in the little snippet I watched, I saw there was not a watch. Um, 10 and 2, where you're supposed to – your hands are supposed to be on the wheel that uh, Ryan Gosling has his watch on. I don't think that's allowed. That helps. Steering wheels were also disallowed. Uh, Dingus, did you have runners up? Oh, sure. The the Judge Reinhold, who has the watch on the Jerry Seinfeld. Sorry. Um, 
Because this is not the TV podcast. I'm sorry that yeah. I have to say this. I know this isn't the TV podcast, but my favorite watch ever is from a TV show. Well, we'll bring that up on the TV podcast, won't we? Damn it. Mm. All, right. All right. What is it? Just to give listeners a taste of the TV podcast, what will you be talking about on the Quarter 3 right. TV podcast? A tick right. of it. This is my favorite watch ever is from my favorite episode of Magnum P.I. when I was a kid. What? <laughs> Best sentence spoken on the Internet ever. <laughs> Your favorite watch was in your favorite episode of Magnum P.I. Just wanted to say that. Got all those words in the right order. I'm, I'm not kidding. There's this awesome episode where he goes kayaking. <laughs> he goes kayaking and he gets caught in the middle of the ocean um, because of a wave or something. And, uh, and he's caught out there and he has to dog paddle like overnight. And he's flashing back to this moment where his dad was teaching him to swim um, <laughs> and making what him dog fuck? paddle for a long period of time. And there's this, there's this watch that he's wearing to time himself as he dog paddles. And it's, it's, it's the Rolex Oyster Perpetual GMT Master. Um, <laughs> I know. Wow. But I want this to go on forever. <laughs> there's, there's this, there's this weird Krampus. and and this is before I knew about the whole like the famous Kennedy picture of uh of the kid at the funeral like with the watch on his arm and there's this picture of uh, there's this image of of Magnum's dad dying and, and handing down the watch to him and him being too, too little a kid to wear the watch but it's hanging off of his wrist and uh, and then he's out in the middle of the water having these flashbacks because he has to dog paddle overnight until his friends can finally come out and get him. And he's wearing this awesome, beautiful uh, Rolex Oyster Perpetual GMT Master that he's constantly having to refer to. Um, and that's my favorite watch in anything that relates to anything movie related so I, I apologize for bringing it up on the movie podcast. But. No. Well, actually, no, that's, that's perfectly appropriate. I'm not sure you, you realize this, but, but that episode was J.C. Chandor's inspiration for All is Lost. Stop it. It's true. It is not. You read the and interviews with him. kayaking episode. Yeah, he, he, he constantly refers to that as his favorite episode of, of Magnum P.I., J.C. Chandor. That's, yeah. Yes, I remember that. I can't believe anybody has a favorite episode of Magnum P.I. Kelly, my one favorite episode is the two-hour one with the Russian guy who says the N-word a lot to... Uh, <laughs> right, you jerks. Stop it. I loved that show growing up. Okay, now let's talk about our favorite hey, I, episodes of Happy Days. <laughs> my favorite episode I like, I like is the one where, where Mrs. Uh, Potter... No, shoot. Mrs. What's, Potter. What's, yeah, Mrs. Potter. I'm like, <laughs> what's, what's your favorite What's Ron Howard's family's name? No. Howard Stanley's name on Happy Days? No. What's Ron Stanley Howard's has... family's name? The hot redhead who's his mom. What's Mrs. Hot redhead. Here, Marion Ross, Mrs. Cunningham. Mrs. Cunningham, thank you. Where Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Cunningham realizes that Fonzie spends Christmases alone. So she goes yeah, he's over. With a can of rabbit, exactly. Cold out of the can. So she yeah. goes over, and there's this like weird sexual tension between them. And in that episode, it could have easily that. veered into Fonzie and Mrs. Cunningham having an affair. And I think it's kind of hot, that On episode. Christmas Eve. Yeah, right, exactly. Look yeah. at the ravioli. Using the ravioli as lube. Whoa, 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 Kelly Wan. You've gone way too far. Way too far. You said hot redhead. You, I, she's definitely hotter than Joni. Kelly, what's your favorite watch from Laverne and Shirley? <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and does it have Laverne's monogram on it? There was a big one called the Big Ragu that she wore for a little bit. <laughs> I have an I have an Ernest runner-up. It's not a watch; it's a clock. And I didn't put this in there because it is a clock. But I love the moment, and it reminds me of the bit in Wolf Creek, although it predates it. Uh, the the very early part in The Exorcist when Max von Sydow realizes that he's let, you know, that the demon is loose and he's gonna have to go do an exorcism. Ooh. There's this really creepy moment where the grandfather clock just stops. Yeah. Like in the pendulum in like mid swing. Oh yeah, the Evil Dead clock too. It's kind of glitchy. Oh, what does that do? Doesn't it just like spin wildly though? Okay. No, the pendulum stops like when oh. there's some shit. Yeah, that's got to be like an exorcist riff, I would think then. Um, yeah. Or demons. So yeah, Dingus, I love this pick. When you said it, I was like, oh god, I don't know what watches people wear. But yeah, the more I thought about it, this was a great pick. There were some good ones in there. Oh my. Uh alternate was in final destination where the alarm clock that what's his fuck is sleeping by keeps changing the numbers on it keep glitching out to be the same as the flight that he's going to go die Ooh, on. scary that's, yeah. that's, that's right up there with the exorcist <laughs> yeah the numbers change and then they match dissolve to the numbers on the right. that movie's good i'm telling you no i know i, I you don't have to go <laughs> very first final destination and er- er- art, high art. And everybody knows the best opening sequence one is in two with the traffic crew. Yeah. The freeway wreck. But then nothing else, I guess. They stopped making them. All right, so Kelly Wand. Wasn't, wasn't David Keckner in the fifth one, by the way? Yeah, he was. Yeah, that's you weird. You spoiled the ending of that for me, you jerk. Why did you see it? Because David Keckner dies in it. Okay. The fifth by the way, it- so I see all of them. Because oh, and I told you yeah. when you go. By the way, someone uh, falls through a window in the dentist's office, and I was like, "How's that? That's not possible because the glass is way too." And, you're and like, that oh, it happens. That doesn't happen. Oh my god, what's happened? <laughs> what that screaming? Kelly Wan just turned into a three-year-old. <laughs> I was outside my window. Long story short. <laughs> Wait, so what? I ruined Final Destination 5 for you, you're saying? Is yeah. that what in trouble for? You go, it's Final Destination 0. Right. And then I'm all, uh, well, it's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah. But it sounds like it's cover for something else that's not that good. There weren't any good deaths in it. And it was the same shit. It was like a bridge car thing, and they've already done cars already. Yeah, right. Twice. Right. Three times, you count the roller coaster. Why am I talking about this shit? What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, Kelly, what we want you to talk about is next week's 3 by 3 What do you got for I'm us? I'm very excited. It's kind of like Dingus's, but not... What, like, the excitement's bad? I don't know. Kelly? I don't know. This is your three best answering machine messages, voicemails, or outgoing messages. <laughs> Go. And you have to do it right now. We can't wait to wait. <laughs> say this. Say, say it again. Yeah, Give it to us slowly. We might have to take notes. <laughs> I'm not going to take questions. <laughs> You're not going to get best... <laughs> And I'm going to arrest you no matter what you do, based on this fiasco tonight. Today, tonight is fucking dicks. All right, three so best... go ahead. Three three best what now? You better write this down in longhand. <laughs> okay. It's pretty confusing. Oh, three best longhand. answering okay. machine. Longhand. That's what we call print. Three best answering machine messages, voicemails, or out- outgoing messages. Like, hey, it's Susie. I farted last night. Call me. Is that from Magnum PI? It's from my least favorite episode of Magnum PI. <laughs> it's a crossover with um, 
Fucking We're Vegas. Outgoing messages. Okay, good. I've got I've got and one. Simon and Simon visit. Um, I've got one already. Good. What? <sighs> Simon, right. Simon and Riptide. It's a three-way crossover. Well, Kelly, want in the event some of the listeners. <laughs> Some of the listeners might be like Dingus, and that might have sparked in, in them some cool ideas. How can they have us read those ideas on the air? When he wakes up, he's in a St. Elsewhere snow globe. <laughs> oh, what would you? Oh, uh, if you want to listen in and hear your voice say things that you wrote to the topic that I enunciated, then you'll want to send your emails to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com. All spelled out one word with the. Uh, first three's numbers and the quarter spelled out and then the third three spelled out and the dots period. Such such clarity. Uh, Carry on, what movie should we see next week? We should see Creed, but we're gonna see uh, <laughs> that fucking Thor versus Moby Dick movie. It's a Ron Howard movie. Come on. Who doesn't love a Thor Ron Howard Thor versus Moby movie? Dick. I like a matchup between a superhero and a... And, and a literary a, figure. An aqua demon. Ooh, okay. <laughs> you put it that way. <laughs> I'm a little worried, though, because the end of Moby Dick. Uh, uh, what? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to... Oh, I can't spoil the end of Moby Dick. No, I thought you were going to say something about the trailer or something, which I haven't watched. No, no. Yeah. But, like, Moby Dick fucking wastes everybody. So I'm hoping that happens in this, but I'm worried that it won't happen in this. All right, well, let's find out, why don't we? Uh, so, <gasps> see Heart of the Sea and join us for the discussion of that next week. And we will read your favorite... Uh, Answering machine messages, voicemails, and outgoing messages for next week. <laughs> uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Mroloski. It's Christian Mroloski. And Kelly Wand. It's the best time of the year I don't know if there'll be snow But have a cup of cheer Have a holly jolly Christmas And when you walk down Hey Dingus, Betty Davis was really good as the grandma in uh, Krampus, huh? English, I knew it. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> That's just Keckner. English. I knew it. You're talking right in my ear. I'm losing any sense of concentration that I might have. Well, I'm just... It's kind of hard to stop in the... Well, keep it to yourself. I mean, can you feel it? Your thing is nearly in the back of my throat. You think I'm going to miss that? Well, Let's just do it, okay? I don't need the narration. Let's go. Jeez, what is this? I'm sorry, but this is not a travelogue, you know?